Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. BFFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald Face truth. Well, the Pac-12 will get its opportunity on Friday to do some grandstanding. George Kleopkoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, will get a chance to puff out his chest as you have seen the conference commissioners in the Big 12 and in the Big 10 today and certainly in the SEC do so before him. But there are questions for George Kleopkov that uh, feel a little more dire in the Pac-12 conference. It is a conference that has lost USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. It is a conference that is, uh, went into crisis management mode in the wake of all that and went early into their negotiating period with ESPN and Fox to try to find a solution for their media rights woes. Normally in a Pac-12 media day or at a conference media day in general, I'm just kind of looking and listening. I'm not really judging the conference commissioner on what is being said because I know that media day is a whole bunch of we on us. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. This is what we're going to be about. And certainly Kevin Warren of the Big Ten Conference had some moments today that really gave me pause. But for George Kleopkov on Friday... He will take the stage in downtown Los Angeles for media day. And I'm looking for him to do more than just grandstand or tell us that everything's all right when we know everything is not all right. I am looking for some solutions from George Klyovkov. I'm looking for him to treat fans and media and the coaches and the players who are assembled on Friday as stakeholders in the Pac-12. Because I think you are. Like, you're not an investor, but you've got a stake in the Pac-12 conference. I've got a stake in the Pac-12 conference. Hell, have you been around the Pac-10 or the Pac-8 or we went to games at Autzen Stadium when it was empty or Research Stadium? I feel like you kind of have a dog in the fight. You're invested, so to speak, in what is happening right now with the conference. So I'm looking for George Kleopkoff to not just have a nice performance and puff his chest out and say, hey, here's the reality Here's the championships. Here's the timeline. I'm looking for some real-world solutions that could be shared on Friday. And normally, you don't want your executives coming out and saying, well, here's our plan with everybody else listening. I don't need to know the whole plan, but I need to know that there is a plan. And in that way, I find myself reminded that Pac-12 Media Day is not all that different than like the end of the season exit interview that we see in the NBA every year. We've gotten really good, especially in the Portland market, at listening to and watching team executives at the end of the season kind of tell us, hey, we've got a plan, we've got a plan, don't worry, and we're not going to share it with you because, as Neil Olshay once upon a time said, uh, it's my plan. I'm not going to give our plan to everybody else uh, you know, at the end of the day, because this is our plan. And, you know, I don't I don't think we're going to get that from George Klyovkov because I think George Klyovkov is uh, much more shrewd. I think he's smarter. I think he knows that when he comes into media day, he's going to have to bring 
some baggage with him. Uh, Neil Olshay, once upon a time, at the exit interview. Roster building's fluid. We went in the draft. We had certain plans. You know, a player got to us we weren't expecting. We considered that a win. I mean, we're clearly not done. But in about four or five days, it's going to be the teams with cap room or the bell of the ball. And let's not fail to make that distinction. There's a difference when you have a 5.7 tax mid level and someone has $60 million in cap room. But, you know, we return a lot of our core pieces. We've got a lot of stability in the roster, stability with our coach, stability with our culture. But it will be ongoing. Ongoing. Ongoing is what he sold. George Kavkov can't sell that as the Pac-12 commissioner. Kevin Warren, uh, Big Ten Media Day today, talking about the stability of the Big Ten conference here. I also am grateful for so many things today, one of which is that we're the only A5 conference that has all of our coaches back this year. We have all 14 of our football coaches back this year, which shows the strength, the continuity of our coaches and our, of our conference. Many of our head football coaches are father figures to our student athletes, their parents, they lead with integrity, grit, honor, and I'm grateful for everything that they do on a daily basis. I know the impact that coaches have had in my life, and I look forward to having you all spend some time with them today. All 14 coaches returning. Kevin Warren talking about the Big Ten Conference is a place where coaches go to stay. Loyalty. So says the guy who shanked George Klyovkov in the back when it came time to add two more teams to his conference. I thought Kevin Warren, I think he's a controversial figure right now in college athletics because he wasn't a guy who was well regarded even a year ago, year and a half ago, as he took the job over from Jim Delaney, the longtime conference commissioner of the Big Ten. Kevin Warren certainly walked into the room with no collegiate experience. He had worked in the front office of the Minnesota Vikings. He had not been involved with college athletics since he was a college athlete back in the day. And he came in and he wrangled a lot of people with some of the things that he did and some of the directions and the leadership that he offered early in his tenure. Let's keep in mind uh, that a pandemic hit early in his tenure. And in George Klyovkov's tenure, we have seen turmoil as well uh, from a pandemic to uh, obviously, the realignment and expansion uh, discussion that we are having right now. But uh, I think the Big Ten Conference right now, uh, maybe you're talking as a, uh, if you're a fan of the Big Ten Conference, you like the way that it's positioned. But I don't know if this is great for the health of college athletics. In fact, I'm convinced it's not. Uh, as part of Big Ten Media Day, conversations about name image likeness and federal government intervention came up. Also, Kevin Warren sort of touted the idea that with the addition of the Los Angeles TV market, the Big Ten spans across the three biggest markets of America when it comes to TV. We are blessed now, especially with the addition of the University of California, Los Angeles, and the University of Southern California, that we will have a footprint in the three major media markets from New York to Los Angeles to Chicago which will allow us to be even bolder when it comes to corporate partnership and activation. So I look forward to building a very successful and robust business in that area. Uh, he's right to, uh, you know, with the technical aspect of that, he, they are in New York with Rutgers. They are in Chicago with Northwestern. And now they're in the Los Angeles TV market with UCLA and USC. 
uh, I wouldn't have pegged Rutgers, Northwestern, and UCLA and USC as the tent poles of the Big Ten Conference a decade ago or even a month ago, but that's what Kevin Warren is selling today, and he is selling the idea that the Big Ten Conference is well-positioned to uh, create sponsorships that are uh, you know, across the country and, uh, and capitalize on that. But I would caution college athletics, and I would caution Kevin Warren in particular, uh, about you know, viewing the addition of UCLA and USC as capturing the Pacific time zone. Like it may become evident, and it certainly he pointed in that direction today as he talked about kickoff times for uh, the Pacific time zone. Like I think they are going to try to put USC and UCLA kicking off at 7 o'clock or 7.30 and try to put those games on Fox. But it doesn't, to me, capture the Pacific time zone just because you have L.A. Like you've got a segment of it, but you're not really grabbing – uh, the entire swath of the Pacific coastline. And I think outside of probably the brand of USC, UCLA leaves something to be desired in the football world when it comes to brand. I think a lot of people are viewing USC's defection to the Big Ten as a basketball move. Like, hey, you know, they're not going to matter in football in the Big Ten. Maybe they'll matter in basketball. But, you know, I just don't like the overall direction. And I would say this if it were the Pac-12 doing the same damn thing to the Big Ten or the SEC. If the Pac-12 gobbled up Clemson, took Florida State, grabbed Northwestern and Purdue out of the uh, middle of part of the country, uh, if they went into New York and grabbed Syracuse and, uh, and tried to present that as, oh, look at us, we're expanding and now we are a national brand, I would have the same criticism and I would caution the Pac-12 against trying to declare that grabbing a team in a market equates to including that entire time zone as part of your college football plan and I think that's the bigger issue we're going to be talking to a guest here in a couple minutes who wrote a in-depth piece on Kevin Warren it's probably the piece if you want to read about Kevin Warren I will tweet it out during the commercial break if you follow me on Twitter but coming up we will talk to Daniel Libet about Kevin Warren who is this guy who is rattling around college football who is this guy who has stolen two teams from the Pac-12 conference and where could this all be headed that's all in front of us. We've got a great show in store for you, great sound. We're going to talk about college football, basketball, and a whole bunch more. I want you to leave it here. you got the Bald Face Truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, Big Ten Media Day with Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Commissioner, doing a lot of talking today. Uh, this is a figure who is a controversial figure, even within his own conference. Office politics, uh, the fact that he got the job without even setting foot into the Big Ten offices in Chicago, the fact that Jim Delaney, who was viewed as sort of a down-home, connected to the athletic director's leader, uh, has been replaced by somebody who operates uh, more as a corporate figurehead. Kevin Warren, certainly a controversial figure. Here to talk about him, Daniel Libet, Sportico. He wrote a fantastic piece. I tweeted it out during the commercial break. Give it a read if you get an opportunity. But Libet's here to talk about uh, Kevin Warren. Thanks for making time for us, Daniel. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Give me an idea of, you know, why Kevin Warren, where does this cross your radar and, you know, at what point do you go, hey, this is a story I need to look into? 
You know, I, I got tipped about 10 months ago um, when the narrative of the Big Ten was in a much different place, uh, that for all of the public controversies and drama that had surrounded uh, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten as it relates to the decision to pause football back in 2020 um, and the lawsuit from the Nebraska players and the meetings, the phone call he had with Donald Trump, uh, and all that stuff, for all of that drama and spotlight, there was a whole other um, drama brewing uh, under the radar in the offices of the Big Ten as Kevin Warren tried to sort of put his stamp on the organization. And so at that point, it seemed like the story was trying to explain uh, both the inside-outside of the predicament that he was in. Fast forward 10 months later, the public narrative is obviously diametrically different. Uh, thanks in no small part to USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Um, and the fact that the Big Ten is on the precipice of signing this massive, unprecedented uh, conference multimedia rights deal. So the news is all good, and it seems as if he has had this um, incredibly quick reputational turnaround from being the guy who everybody was saying didn't belong in the job to being the person in the seat when some of the best things that, that have happened to the Big Ten in recent history um, are all happening. Uh, but that didn't change the nature of what was going on behind the scenes. A lot of the issues uh, with his staff, with his efforts to sort of, as he saw it, um, disarm landmines and really professionalize the conference. He had come in not with a college sports background and kind of looked at the Big Ten as living in the past in a lot of things from a organizational level. It didn't have an HR head. It didn't have an in-house counsel. Uh, it didn't have certain policies, workplace policies. There were, there were people who, a number of people who weren't even on employment contracts, who were full-time employees. So it seemed as if, you know, Jim Delaney, who was, is regarded as this Bengali-like figure um, for all of that, all he did in terms of the, uh, the creation of the Big Ten Network and, and the expansion of the conference over his three decades didn't really tend to the minutia, per se, and that Warren thought that this was essential. You know, this is a business. This is going to soon be a billion-dollar-plus business, and that the organization ought to behave like this and thought that, you know, um, very concerned about the security of the conference, the reputation of the conference, and the fact that this could get undermined in any number of different ways. And so I really explored his efforts over the last three years while all of the stuff was going on publicly that he was fending off, um, his efforts to try to shore up the conference internally, and they have not gone smoothly, so to, uh, to, to put it charitably. Yeah, and I'm looking at, you know, his tenure. It, it was just a year ago where I was hearing – you know, a lot of squawking and squabbling from coaches who are saying, you know, I'm not sure about this guy, media members who are saying that. It, and in reading your piece, what I gather is it wasn't just external. There was a whole bunch of in, internal strife that was happening, and Warren was at the center of it. Yeah, and again, it, it's all kind of coming from the same direction. There was, you know, the conference, the athletic directors in the Big Ten, certainly the people who worked in the office. And we're not talking about a lot of people. We're talking about maybe 60-some people who work in the Big Ten. Um, or, you know, these were people who had college sports experience, Big Ten experience, had grown accustomed 
to a certain way of, of doing things. And, uh, you know, Warren, for, for some just terrible luck early on, um, compounding the fact that he didn't have this, this kind of prototypical background of a college commissioner, um, at least a college commissioner at that time, uh, was then, you know, hit with the worst thing to happen to the country and, and, and certainly college sports in, uh, in, in recent memory and had to sort of navigate that while also having all of his moves uh, scrutinized through the lens that this was a guy who didn't know how to turn, really turn the gears in intercollegiate athletics. And, yeah, he had missteps. I mean, you know, his, his decision to pause um, the, the, uh, the season, the fall sports season, uh, going into 2020, 2021, um, does not look good in retrospect. I mean, it was sort of salvaged by the fact that things returned, but his rationale for canceling uh, play uh, doesn't square within his decision to resume it two months later. Uh, and, you know, he, he, he gained a lot of enemies. People who were already wary of him um, became that much more wary. And, and what I, you know, the question was, what does, what did Jim Delaney really leave behind him, leave behind for his uh, successor? In one way, Jim Delaney, the, the you know, longtime Big Ten commissioner, um, left something tremendous. He left his successor the opportunity to sign this massive multimedia rights deal so long as the successor could stay in the job for three and a half years. On the other hand, he, you know, there were certainly things in the organization that one could say um, had, had been untended or had not been paid a lot of attention to, and, and that was also for Warren to deal with. The, you know, three, two months, three months before Warren takes the job in January of 2020, um, this is a scene I, I sort of describe in detail in the piece, the Big Ten goes on lockdown and cop cars flood the parking lot because a staffer, um, a Big Ten staffer, who uh, we declined to name in the story, um, had alerted the building manager that her uh, now ex-husband was going to come and cause a disturbance. This seems like a personal issue that shouldn't spill over into the Big Ten, but this became a ongoing saga that routinely consumed Warren over the next two years. The staffer, several months later, was arrested um, and, and charged, but ultimately acquitted of, of domestic violence against her ex-husband. Um, and then in the course of their divorce proceedings, the ex-husband uh, subpoenas the Big Ten and subpoenas Kevin Warren for all kinds of records records that really got to the heart of the, the concerns that Warren already had about the conference, which was that there were things that were sort of sliding under the radar that needed to be paid better attention to, workplace policies. The Big Ten is a not-for-profit, though it doesn't necessarily behave like that uh, in all ways. Um, and so, you know, this was a huge consuming thing that was going on behind the scenes while all of the things that we know were going on uh, uh, publicly, that was one of it. One of the examples. So um, he was dealing with that. He was trying to implement things. He thought it was extremely important in this current environment for the Big Ten to to have a in-house general counsel. It was the only Power Five conference that did not have a top lawyer on its staff, and he thought that it was essential. One of the most essential things for him to do was to fulfill this position. But over the last three years, Warren has hired three separate general counsels, and there's been a lot of intra-staff strife, you know, involving uh, at least two of the uh, of, of the in-house counsels. 
um, who both left rather quickly after taking the job. Um, and then finally, you know, he wanted to he wanted to create a human resources infrastructure. Again, these are the kinds of things that people don't generally think about at the level of the conference. The conference is supposed to just be this pass through. They get the money, hand it off to the schools, do some organizational things. But you know, the, the thought of a conference really behaving like its own entity is a re- is a relatively novel concept um, of of the last couple of years. Well, so he wanted to implement an HR system in the Big Ten. And and that went wayward as well. The person who he hired was not soon long after his hiring accused by multiple women in the conference of, uh, of uh, sexual discrimination in the workplace. That staffer was cleared by an internal investigation. Um, but again, there was all these things that he was trying to do to shore up the Big Ten, and they were running into one hiccup after another. And this, this really went on all the way through the, into the beginning of this year. This, this was a dynamic that was in place, a lot of tension and recriminations uh, that came from, from all of these various uh, you know, hiccups. Daniel Libet is with us, Sportico. Great piece on Kevin Warren today. I, I saw in your piece one of the first things he did was put up a fence, a wrought iron fence around the employee parking lot. It raised eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, why was that important to Kevin Warren? He had, from his personal experience, he had been a uh, NFL executive at the, for three franchises. Um, the most recent was Minnesota, but he talked about um, a previous job he had um, that involved concerns about player security with the St. Louis Rams during their Super Bowl uh, time with Kurt Warner and, and all the attention and what it was like to be on an NFL uh, in an NFL uh, franchise where. All of a sudden, you know, you have celebrities there and you need to worry about uh, personal security and and building security. He said that when he then took the job with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, he was astounded by the lack of security that their old practice facility had um, prior to the one that he uh, helped uh, build when he was COO at, with the Vikings. Um, so this was just in his head. He, he, said, he told me he had hired a high level, his term, a security consultant to sort of do a full audit of the of the security of the Big Ten's offices in Chicago and their satellite office in New York, and this was one of the recommendations. But it's, it's a small example about the kinds of things that he was fixated on, very much in contrast to his predecessor. This is a stuff that would have never really crossed the radar of Jim Delaney, according to my sources, who was really a, a high-level um, uh, you know, big picture thinker who was not so concerned with the operational details of the conference. And again, I think this also in some cases reflects the times in which they they operated. I mean, you know, Delaney starts with the Big Ten in, in 1990 and college sports and the relationship between the schools and the conferences were, was much different then, particularly with the decline of the NCAA now and how the the real you know ballast of power in college sports is resting with the SEC and the Big Ten. It's it's redefining the role, the public role of these uh, of these people who are in the positions of the commissionerships of those two conferences. And I think they're trying to figure out they being Greg Sankey and and Kevin Warren and and I suppose the other Power Five uh, commissioners as well. What does that mean? Like, what should I be worrying about? How should I be treating this organization? That again, for you know, for the longest period of time during the expansion of college sports, 
and the uh, enrichment of college football really was just this, these pass-through pass organizations where not as much was expected of them on any of these fronts. Let me ask you, because, you know, much of your reporting is done probably prior to the announcement of USC and UCLA, uh, you know, yeah. defecting to the Big Ten. Has that move quieted Kevin Warren's critics, or is that to be determined? It certainly quieted the critics. I mean, I'll, I'll, as, a, as a point of uh, perspective here, having been working on this for that period of time, I never heard of, of I didn't hear any of this. Uh, they kept that very tight. Um, I didn't hear about this until uh, until it was tweeted out uh, the Friday. I think it was tweeted out. Um, so, yes, I mean clearly this this already his reputation was going to be rehabilitated by the signing of this of this uh, media rights deal. This was just this incredible feather in his cap, and it's been reported in various outlets, and it was sort of squares with my reporting. This really did come over the transom. This was not Kevin Warren's doing. Um, arguably, if Jim Delaney was in the uh, in the seat or any other any other number of people, they would have also been the recipients of of the good fortune of uh, USC and UCLA um, deciding to abscond the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. The uh, so yeah, but you know, as with everything, you know, if the people who are in the seats when the good things happen get the credit, and and the vice versa is also true. And so yeah, I think this is. It's hard to find fault with Kevin Warren in this moment. However, I, you know, part of the story is to sort of raise the question of how much of any of this is lucky versus good. Mm. You know, is it that Kevin Warren, um, some of the moves and, and his intuitions that were questioned uh, shouldn't have been questioned because look at where things are at now, or is it that, you know, circumstances have changed and if, as, as so long as he stayed in the job um, to see through uh, COVID and, and the original impact of the of the first season that was compromised by it, you know, he was going to be the recipient of all these of all these glory that's coming to the conference now. It'll it'll be very interesting in in a year, let's say when the when the Big Ten's uh, next uh, tax returns come out, if that's exactly when this will be captured, um, whether or not uh, Kevin Warren will bonus and to what extent. Jim Delaney got a massive bonus. Um, when the big Ten, from the creation of the Big Ten Network and from the last multimedia rights deal, um, a, a signal that you know he really was responsible uh, for these things happening, uh, you know, and it'll be interesting to see exactly how the uh, the college presidents of the Big Ten decide to award Kevin Warren. There's you know, Sports Business Journal reported this uh, I think earlier in the week or sometime last week. You know the chatter. I've heard it as well um, about uh, whether or not they should re-up Kevin Warren's contract preemptively. I mean, he's due his his first contract is due to expire in 2024. Um, but obviously, you know, now is there pressure on the presidents to uh, to give him a raise and give him an extension um, without his contract having run out? It's crazy. Given um, not, I'm not saying it's crazy as a as an objective standpoint, just more, it's, it's wild to think about, uh, given just how uh, beleaguered he was not so long ago. Yeah, and I, I think your piece, I think, lays that out. It's There's a lot of great nuggets in it. I encourage people to check it out. There's a cameo by uh, former President Trump in the piece, and uh, we Indeed. all remember, we all remember, I'm going to play this clip, we remember the president coming out 
in September after the Big Ten announced that they would play. Just want to congratulate Big Ten. It's going to be great. We're going to love watching that. And again, I want to recommend Pac-12. You're the only one now. Open up. Open up, Pac-12. Get going. Said the same thing to Big Ten, and they did. And now I'm saying it to Pac-12. You have time. You really have time right now. Get going. Yeah, you you got to the bottom of that claim and that phone call between Kevin Warren and, and President Trump at the time. Just fascinating. How did you come into that, and what was Warren's reaction when he knew you knew about it? Well, it has been it's been reported the the first phone call that transpired between Warren and Trump has been reported before the New York Times Magazine did a, actually a very lengthy um, and exhaustive narrative about it. But what I had reported on was a second phone call that uh, that I do not believe had been previously disclosed, and I also provided just some color about uh, the circumstances in which Warren took this. I mean, Warren really was trying to avoid controversy. At that point, he was already besieged by criticisms from his various schools, particularly Nebraska and Ohio State, that were furious with the the cancellation or the postponement of the season. And then, of course, comes this phone call from a White House staffer alerting him that he uh, that uh, then President Donald Trump wanted to uh, speak to him, which Warren really didn't want to do, said he had a conflict. The staffer insisted that the president wanted to uh, speak to him nonetheless. And and Warren's conflict, incidentally, he was back in Minneapolis at his home there. Uh, twice a year he goes for his executive physical. He's very dutiful about that. He's he's a bit of a health nut and uh, and concerned about his health. And uh, so the, the conflict that was he had his executive physical the next morning, uh, that was no matter. Trump gave him a call. Um, they spoke for 15 minutes. It was fairly unremarkable. And at the end of it, according to Kevin, uh, Trump had asked him whether or not uh, Kevin Warren had any uh, inkling to make news of this phone call to speak about this publicly. And Warren said no. Warren then drives off to his executive physical. He's in his doctor's office. He's gowned. He's about to enter this this contraption called a bod pod, which precisely <laughs> measures your uh, body mass index, and uh, his staff is frantically calling the doctor's office, saying they need to get him on the phone immediately because Trump had just tweeted out um, the <laughs> the news, although it wasn't really true that the uh, conversation had been so successful uh, that the return of Big Ten football was at the quote one yard line. And so Warren is, you know, <laughs> wrestled out of his uh, out of his doctor's appointment. He talks to his staff. He talks to um, this outside PR consultant that the Big Ten had hired, and to figure out, well, do we respond? What do you say? You don't want to incur the wrath of Donald Trump, but at the same time, you know, he had already learned a hard lesson by the way in which they had sort of been a little bit mealy mouthed uh, originally when they decided to uh, postpone the season. So there's uh, there's more there, including a second phone call. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it was, you know, this was to give him his due. This was at one point a very difficult job and there were friends and supporters and loyalists of him who were openly encouraging him to skedaddle. There was, I'd heard, although, um, I'd heard this mainly from people who were friends of his, so worth taking with a grain of salt that there was at least one, um, pro sports job, attractive pro sports job that had been tendered to him in the course of this low point. 
and people were encouraging him to go. That it was not that this, you know, that being at the Big Ten commissioner was not helpful to him and was uh, more harm than good. Um, so you know, he stuck with it, uh, and and things cleared up, uh, and and it's a complete 180 now, and all is all is hunky dory. And now it's just you know he's in the position of of not only being this very powerful commissioner, but given all of the developments that have happened with the Pac-12 and and the uh, and the Big 12, he's now one of the longest tenured commissioners. So his being his having no college sports experience is not a, not only not novel, um, he's right there in the mainstream now. Daniel Libet, Sportico. I tweeted out a link to it. Fantastic work. Thanks for joining us, Daniel. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You bet. Great stuff from Libet. We'll kick it around, then some and more. Uh, Pac-12 Media Day Friday in Los Angeles. George Klyovkov will get his turn. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Geeking out on Kevin Warren in that last segment. Literally. Good stuff from Daniel Levitt of Sportico. Uh, Judah Newby. Good to, uh, good to have you around, my friend. How are you doing? Oh, great, John. What's up? How are you? Doing well, doing well. Let's talk Kevin Warren. Let's talk George Klyovkov. You just heard Libet talk about the Big Ten commissioner. Uh, you know, we're all listening to this. Steve and Sean, you can join in as well. That, you know, we're listening to him talk about, you know, the, the landscape of football and commissioner of the Big Ten Conference. Now you have George Klyovkov on Friday who will get his opportunity to kind of give a State of the Union and answer some questions. But, you know, what do you make of all this? not a Kevin Warren fan anymore. <laughs> I probably put that on the record a couple weeks ago. Um, I just think he, you know, it's so hypocritical, but I'm a Pac-12 fan, and he's the leader of a Big Ten conference that just poached a couple, you know, prime Pac-12 universities. Um, I thought that was interesting what, what Daniel Libet shared, though, about commissionerships in general, and Warren in particular. How much credit does he deserve for this? I mean, what did he really do? Frankly, from my vantage point, he just happens to be the commissioner at a time where USC and UCLA were going to leave for more money anyway. Give him credit for that? Hell no. No, he's just filling the seat at the right time. He is way more lucky than good, so good for him, I guess. But he's he's done the Pac-12 dirty. He did George K. dirty at a time where he went out of his way to form an alliance with the guy. Like, get out of here with standing on your personal high horse, saying how your parents raised you right, Kevin. I mean, this is just, it's professional garbage, and uh, I shouldn't be surprised, but it gets me fired up anyway. It's just not right. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, on one hand, the the kinds of things that make you good at conference commissioner may not make you likable. Like, you know, I just think there's some element to Roger Goodell, Kevin Warren, uh, attorney by, by, you know, he's a trained and educated attorney who is working in a job, you know, I don't like what he did. But the Big Ten fans are awfully happy with him right now, and they're the same Big Ten fans that were calling for his head when he had strong views about not playing football during the onset of COVID. And and he's he's got some weird sort of practices around the offices. Like, you know, he uses a portal <laughs> that, that, you know, people exchange documents and information in a secure portal that the – 
you know, the public universities, like, you know, some of the universities in the Big Ten Conference have all been encouraged to use, and they kind of got caught, you know, as one of the presidents, you know, was making a comment about, hey, let's let's use the portal so we don't have to have all this information go through public records. Uh, I think it's in part how they kept the USC-UCLA thing under wraps. I'm I'm told by someone at UCLA that they went to great lengths to, to ensure secrecy. Um, it, it I don't like Kevin Warren. I don't want to root for Kevin Warren. I, I want to root for them at the Big Ten Conference even more than you know, I want to root for the Yankees like or U.S. Steel. Like I, you can root against those teams. But uh, here he is, and he's sitting pretty, and you're right. He just happens to be the commissioner of record, but he, he's going to get credit for it. And the, the bonus stuff that the, the guest was talking about as well, how does that work again? Like the, with the tax forms coming due this time next year, like did Kevin Warren just set himself up for a big, nice, fat payday? Because a lot Likely, of this, yeah. a lot of this language, a lot of this language reminds me of Larry Scott, and obviously, there was a certain point where we applauded Larry for the media deal at the very beginning, and it ultimately was the thing we all hated him for professionally. By the end, among other things, I mean, you wrote extensively about Larry, the way he handled himself, the culture he tried to promote in the Pac-12 buildings. Hell, the Pac-12 buildings themselves in downtown San Francisco. I don't know. I didn't know a lot of the personal side of Kevin Warren until your interview with uh, Daniel Libet just now. But I just came away feeling like I, ho- I hope he doesn't get a lot of credit for this USC-UCLA move because I'm not – I frankly don't know – you know, I fr- anybody could have done it. Jim Delaney could have done it if he was still there. I don't think he would have gone about it the same way, but, you know, I'm not sure – I think we overinflate the commissionership importance in general, and with Kevin Warren in particular, I just don't think he should get that much credit for this. Yeah, I think uh, you know time will tell, but it feels like he got a um, you know he got a stay of execution, so to speak, as you know a lot of the Big Ten members were lining up, going, "This guy's not working for us. This isn't working for us." And then in the end, Kevin Warren got UCLA and USC, and here we go. What do we want to hear from George Klyovkov on Friday? Let's go around the room. What do you want to hear? I want to know if he's talked to Kevin Warren selfishly. <laughs> um, I was, that's what I was going to ask you. Is like, what are you thinking about asking him? And one yeah. of them is that side. But, you know, he'll probably dismiss it. But I want to know if they've communicated in any way. In any way. Text message, phone call, whatever. Mm. Just yeah. any type of communication between you and Kevin Warren. Do you want that question asked while Klyovkov is on the stage in front of everybody, or do I wait and hold that question for our one-on-one radio interview, which will air right here on this show Friday? Um, the latter, but I'd be surprised if nobody asked it at the press conference. Um, but if no one does, I would just hold it. <laughs> yeah, I'd hold it for us, for the exclusive. But, you know, I feel like people are going to ask him that at some point. Whether or not he takes the high ground is interesting because I feel like mm, I he's, don't think he will. Why not? He's got some scrapper in him. He does. He like feels that way. Klyovkov, right? Yeah, I've I've watched him in media settings where he could take the high road if he you know you got to know his background too because you know his his parents essentially came to the United States with nothing. He is a second generation American and they immigrated here. They met in New York and. 
I there's a little bit of a there's a scrapper in in George Klyovkov. He'll, he's not afraid to roll his sleeves up and throw a punch, and I think he will throw a punch Friday. Man, I can't wait for that. And then secondarily, I just whatever he can share about the status of the media negotiations because the window closes next Wednesday, correct? Yeah. The third right. or the fourth? Yeah, the fourth. And yep. here comes media day on Friday. Like, are we gonna get concrete news before Friday on this? And if not, then where does it stand? And and when can we expect resolution? I mean, it was really good to hear Stuart Mandel with you yesterday, and and he seemed to suggest that it's going to be a few more weeks, a few more months before we find final resolution. Yeah, with this. ultimate resolution. Yeah, because you want the market to weigh in. You want Fox and ESPN to have first crack in this negotiating period. But to get the best deal, you want you want to put the your rights out to the open market. But I feel like on Friday, Klyovkov's got to sell something. Yes, he's got to be able to come forth and go, look, we have secured fill in the blank. You know, we have secured a tier one rights deal. We're going to shop around, but we feel like, you know, and, and I do have several conference athletic directors, one in particular saying, gave me the quote, George is kicking ass. Like that was very early in this process. Let's see where, where he's at now. Uh, I want to grab a phone call and uh, we'll, we'll take more of your input. Uh, we'll go around the room a little bit with Steven and Sean, but Mike in Portland is, wants to weigh in on George Klyovkov. Go ahead, Mike. So, John, first of all, man, um, you know, I'm surprised that you guys are hating on the, uh, the guy in the Big Ten because when he was speaking, he made an indictment on the Ducks when he talked about all the coaches in the Big Ten show came back to work. Mm-hmm. That right there was basically calling the Ducks out because they can't keep a coach. But you guys missed that. Also, John, there's two types of people out here. There's people that act, and there's people that react. George Klikoff, whatever you, however you pronounce his name, he can't do nothing but react. He's not an actor. So he's not going to do anything that's going to improve the position of the Pac-12. He can't do that. So, John, I'm just calling you out, man, because you're hating on, on, the, on the guy in the Big Ten, man, because... Mm. Because what he's doing, man, is show, is teaching you guys. He's yeah. running. The- what is he teaching? He's 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 ruining college football. He's stripping away geography and tradition. He's saying, you know, I'm going to take this team and that team. And and my indictment of him was, look, he said we kept all of our coaches. He's preaching loyalty, right? At the same time, he's stabbing the guy he had an alliance with in the back. John, John, let me just say this before I go, man. And this is something you can teach your kids. The only thing constant in life is a change. Nothing stays the same. You got to learn that, man. Mm. Talk to you. All right. Appreciate you. I don't know. I watched Dick Clark on TV for like 40 years. He didn't seem to change. <laughs> Leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, Punch It Audio. we got the best sound from all around. Later this week, Frank Brickowski, NBA enforcer, will join us. We're probably going to need to carve out about a half hour for that interview. He's always good. Steven and Sean, uh, weigh in on Kevin Warren, George Kwiatkoff. What do we want to hear from the Pac-12 commissioner? What do we think of the Big Ten commissioner? Yeah, I think with Kevin Warren, for me, 
And I understand where Judo's coming from and where you're coming from, how we hate him, right? As Pac-12 fans, we hate him, but... Is hate the right word, or is it just, uh, you know... It's a professional uh, dislike. Judah had some hate in his eyes, I saw it. <laughs> but uh, I think that means he's doing a good job, mm-hmm. right? Like, if you are hated by one group and loved by another group, that kind of means you're doing a good job. So I understand that, and I think Kevin Warren should maybe get a little bit of credit, a little more than credit than I think you guys are letting on about it, but... I don't like him either, right? Like, I want the Pac-12 to be good, and he's taking really strong Pac-12 schools away. And so I'm a Judah. I want to hear uh, from Klyovkov if he's talked to Kevin Warren at all, because when that alliance thing happened, that was a big deal. And those and, guys were hanging out. Yes. I saw them together in the press box in Columbus, Ohio. I stopped and talked to them. They were hanging out, at, you know, sitting by each other, chumming it up, going to dinner. Yeah, that was a big deal, and it was supposed to help the Pac-12. So for him to just kind of sneak around and then take away you know, the L.A. market, it's such a big loss for the Pac-12. I want to hear if they've even talked about it. You made a good point earlier, John. Like, when you're a commissioner in a professional sport or a collegiate conference, like, it's not your job to be a good person. Like, Roger Goodell, <laughs> every NFL draft, he, he he goes to the podium and gets booed like crazy. And yet, we'd probably all sit here and we'd probably say that Roger Goodell is doing the best job out of all the commissioners. Like, the NFL is king. It's same thing with Warren. Like, you know, we can say whatever we want about him in the Big Ten, but they're one of the two conferences that people kind of foresee as being the two that really matter going forward. I want to go out to Mark in Portland. Mark, you want to uh, retaliate against Mike? Go ahead. Uh, well, I'm kind of agreeing with you, so I don't even know where that's going to go. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it feels like D1 now. It's like a monopoly game. You know, my two older brothers that would, when I started to make a little noise like USC in the early 2000s, because I felt this way since the BCS started. It's, it's they're colluding. And they're eliminating everybody else, so it's just the Big Ten against the SEC. I All mean, right. it's just Mark. Mark, you're going to make great points here. I'm going to make you. I'm going to call timeout. I'm going to hold you over the commercial break because I'm going to have to interrupt you in like 20 seconds, and I think you're going somewhere good. So okay. can you you hang on, hold that thought. He will. Shots were fired earlier. He is going to fire back. Mark in Portland speaking on behalf of all of college football here and the game of Monopoly. I want you to leave it here. It's just starting. BFFT From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. We've been talking about Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Commissioner, George Kleofoff, the Pac 12 Commissioner. They were thick as thieves just a year ago. I was in Columbus, Ohio. I saw them in the press box together. I even took a picture of the two of them together. I'll see if I can find that and tweet it out. But now things have changed. The Big Ten sitting pretty. Billion-dollar TV deal. USC and UCLA in the fold after 2024. Mark in Portland is called in. I interrupted him, and I want to let him finish his thought. He was talking Monopoly and college football. Mark, go ahead. You have the floor. Yeah, you remember how your two older brothers would always rig it against the 12, 13-year-old. There's no way the 12 or 13-year-old was going to win a game of Monopoly against the 17 and 18-year-old. I mean, the the banker was cheating for them. Everything was rigged against you. <laughs> I just go back to, to USC in 2003, 2004, six, seven years in a row. They should have played the SEC champion four or five times, and they never met. 
you know, and everybody's talking about Oregon in 2011. This is what I talk about. The Pac-12 with Pac-10 was making noise. Oregon was two seconds uh, with left in the game against Auburn, an undefeated team with one of the best college football players ever, Cam Newton, and they uh, two seconds the game was tied, and they lost on the last play of the game. So it wasn't like they got rolled. Um, I just, you know, the power is, it just seems like no matter what, the Pac-12 tries to do to get equality. They're not. They're not going to get it. And they're changed. They say we're going to have a playoff. And um, you know, Oregon was the first team to win a playoff game. They won it in record fashion against a 27-year-old uh, and oh, Jameis Winston team at Florida State. It wasn't like they beat a chump. They crushed a really good team. So, I mean, where did it all go wrong? You guys would know more than I do. But it just feels like it's monopoly and it's rigged, and you're never going to see a Boise State, an Oregon State, a Cinderella story in this system. You're just you're never going to see it because it's rigged, and the big brothers are controlling it. It's <laughs> it, it, fueled by money too, and I and you know I don't think that like when you are when we are talking about college athletics, I actually don't think like Kevin Warren or anybody else is out to ruin college athletics i think he's trying to do what he thinks is best for the big 10 conference um i think though in the end what's best for the big 10 is not necessarily what's great for the country and the caller's right like this is all about money but it's uh, money and the college football playoff access so if you're getting access to the cfp but with big 10 money access to the college football playoff because you're in the sec and you're getting $50 $50 million a year in media rights money, um, it creates an imbalance, and it also creates a geographical problem because you don't have parity geographically when you have the SEC and the Big Ten in on the playoff and everybody else uh, you know, just scrapping for what is left over. And don't tell me that having the L.A. market means that you got the Pacific time zone because you don't because there are – you know, while there is 5.2 million televisions in the Los Angeles TV market, that's not the Pacific time zone. It's not up and down the coast. It's not Portland, Oregon. It's not Seattle, Washington. It's not Pullman. It's not uh, even the mountain time zone as you go into Utah and Colorado. It's, you know, you're, you, have, you have splintered off a part of the country that feels left out. And I just wonder about the apathy and I wonder about you know the disconnect that fans will feel when this thing gets in full swing this thing meaning the playoff itself Lewis is in West Lynn Oregon the mean streets Lewis what's up man <laughs> long time hey two things one sticking with monopoly I want to know how long it's going to be before the Big Ten starts mortgaging the smaller market schools you know what what why can't can't UCLA and USC say, hey, wait a minute, you know, we want we want a bigger cut of this deal, you know? I think I think they didn't even bother to ask the Pac-12 that question, but boy, I think they're going to be asking the that question going forward. Yeah. And the other other yeah the other Go thing ahead. is <clears throat> out of eighty five scholarships and one hundred and ten kids sitting on the sideline, how many are NIL? What do you what 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 percentage are you are we talking about ten or fifteen percent of the players that are nil? Yeah, I would I would say it's probably in that range. I looked at the early numbers, but I didn't want to draw too many conclusions, and I was surprised at how few players were getting more than like a hundred dollars or five hundred dollars. Uh, you know, there were very few athletes that were participating at a high level. Well, given given that, 
then what are the other 80 or 90 football players who didn't sign up to join the traveling circus at UCLA or USC? How, how do they stay in school? You know, they're always on the road. And, and are they really going to want to go play in, in Michigan State and Purdue and Indiana and all those in the middle of winter? You know, right now they only have to go to the Palouse. That's their only cold game, or I guess maybe I, Utah. But I, I don't see this thing working out after four or five years, John. I think that the players, the, the talent, is going to be voting with their feet. And I don't see that UCLA and USC will be able to have any depth because I don't think that the players are going to want to do it. Yeah, I keep thinking about non-football, non-men's basketball. What happens to those kids uh, as they find themselves on uh, you know, a Tuesday flying out to uh, West Lafayette, Indiana to go play Purdue? And they arrive on uh, Tuesday night. They uh, practice on Wednesday. They, and I'm talking about non-football, non-basketball. Maybe they play a game on Thursday, and then they turn around and they get on a plane home on Friday then they get an off day on Saturday, Sunday, Monday. They're feeling pretty good. They're doing their academic work. They're practicing. Hey, Tuesday, you're back on a plane of Champaign, Illinois. Like, I've done that. I covered Purdue. It's not an easy place to get to. And you can get out of L.A. easily. You can charter flights. But I do think that there will be a toll that that takes. And I also think geographically, if you're recruiting in the state of California and you're not in football, okay, this is a distinction that is way different than football. This is not about revenue now. This is just about athletes and their experience. I think there are a lot of parents who send kids to college who want to see their kids play. They want to see their kids play on TV or they want to see their kids play in person. And sometimes in the Pac-12, like women's basketball in particular, you have both of those things if you play a game in the Pac-12 conference because you found yourself on the Pac-12 network all the time and, hey, oh, by the way, if you grew up in California or you grew up in the Bay Area, yeah, you can see the Stanford and Cal games. And, hey, it's not that big a deal to go to L.A. and see those games. And, hey, let's take a trip up to Seattle and see those games. But when you move the venues to uh, Penn State and uh, Evanston, Illinois and Champaign and you, uh, you include Rutgers in there, I mean, you're, talk you're asking a lot of those athletes. So I think Lewis is right there. Now, I asked UCLA that question. I asked, what are you going to do? And they said, well, we're, we're being assured by the Big Ten that they'll make some concessions. And what is that? Like, are they going to just say, hey, you play all your road games in one swath, and it's a miserable 17 days, and then you get a bunch of home games? I don't know. But I also know it could be chartered flights. It could, there could be an extra expense there. Maybe they give stipends to the athletes. I don't know. But I think it's going to take a toll in those other sports that nobody's really talking about. And – and I wonder if UCLA in particular will be able to recruit like it always has in some of those other sports. I also know that, you know, there's a lot of people fretting over the disparity between, you know, the media money in the Big Ten and the media money in the Pac-12. But I had an athletic director in the Pac-12 tell me it's not going to hurt as much as people think. I haven't written this yet. I'm winding up. I'll probably write it tomorrow or write something uh, that this includes tomorrow at johnconzano.com, but I've been holding it. But the athletic director told me that they were already facing tough decisions within their athletic department. And by tough decisions, I'm, I'm talking about where do you allocate your dollars? Do you uh, invest in track and field? Do you invest in gymnastics? Do you invest in basketball? Do you invest in football? Of course you do. 
but to what level? And I think what's going to happen because of the media rights disparity in the Pac-12 conference is I think you're going to have individual campuses look at their programs and go, okay, where are my favorite children here? Because you're going to have to decide where to allocate your dollars because you want to stay in the conversation for the playoff. You need to fund football. So I think the Pac, what's going to happen is I think the Pac-12 universities are going to go all in funding football and men's basketball. I think you're going to see Oregon spend like uh, Big Ten schools spend, like SEC schools spend. I think you're going to see Washington and Utah do the same thing. I also think you're going to have campuses like Oregon, for example, that are going to have to go, okay, where do we have a chance to win a national championship? And we're really going to invest there. Women's basketball, we got a chance to win a national title with Kelly Graves. Okay, I'm spending there, and I'm going to spend at the at the highest levels of women's college basketball. Where else can we win? Track and field. Okay, let's go there. Now, it could leave some sports like softball and baseball on the outside looking in. I'm not saying the programs are going to get dropped. I'm just saying they're not going to be funded like pedal to the metal. So I'm being told by Pac-12 ADs that, look, we were already facing these tough decisions. This is just going to put a bigger pressure on the winners in the Pac-12 to really fund football. Like, just go all in, put your resources into football, and, you know, and, and I think it's what UCLA was facing, frankly, before they left for the Big Ten. Martin Jarmon, the AD at UCLA, had a conversation with him months ago, and he was talking about, hey, we may have to roll back our funding in track and field, a sport that UCLA has traditionally been very good in. And he was sort of talking about it at the time that UCLA extended Chip Kelly in that, you know, that money's got to come from somewhere. And, you know, they were just going to have to make some tough decisions as households make tough decisions. This is all very relatable stuff. You know, as you balance the budget in your own household, when you find, hey, you know, uh, we, you know, we got to make a decision on, you know, where are we going to live? You know, how much of our income are we going to put towards our housing? You know, how much is how much do we need for gas and and uh, how much do we need? For, you know, what are our expenses? As you look down to look at your own household budget, it's no different from the athletic directors in the Pac-12 that are looking at their budgets and going, okay, where are we going to pour our resources? You know, you may put 30 to 40 percent of your gross income into your housing. You may put 10 percent into savings. The Pac-12 universities were going, hey, we need to put 30 to 40 percent of our gross revenue into football. We need to, because if we don't, we're going to get left behind. Now, I think what is happening right now is just going to put a bigger emphasis on programs like Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, to go, hey, we got to spend a little more in football. And I kind of wonder about the trickle-down effect of that. Like, will we see volleyball suffer at Oregon? Because, you know what, we're probably not winning a national championship in volleyball. It's a great program. we got to invest in it. But we need those dollars where we can win titles. And I think you're going to see some of that happening. And that is another byproduct of this that nobody is talking about. Uh, you know, we're going to see football funding. And I'm going to take a look at the gross numbers. And, and what, are, what is Oregon investing in football? What is Alabama investing in football? And I will venture to say those numbers are not going to be that dramatically off. They're not going to be proportionately different 
to media rights revenue. It's just going to mean Oregon is putting more of its its pie into football. And and I think that's going to happen in this next cycle. Punch and Audio is coming up. We have the best sound. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, it's a million degrees outside. Anna was uh, has popped into the studio. You're outside with the kids. You look like uh, you've been doing road work or tarring a roof somewhere. Face is all red. Uh, in the end, what, what's happening there? Oh, it's just really hot outside. Uh, melting. Melting. I, I feel for anybody that has to work outside in this heat. And uh, just make sure you hydrate and find Always shade. the mom. I know. Always the mom there. Public service announcement. Are you hydrating, Stephen and Sean? Are you hi- <laughs> listening to Anna? I definitely hydrated. And I went hitting golf balls uh, before work at like 8.30, 9 in the morning. It was super hot still. <laughs> <laughs> I was so sweaty. Starbucks yeah. Starbucks had a promotion going today. I got a uh, $2 iced coffee. So I'm hydrating. <laughs> you. You're, You're making me crave a You're coffee. You're actually dehydrating. Every Tuesday here at the Pac West Center, Starbucks has something going on. Half <laughs> off yeah, iced drinks. That's the opposite of hydrating. That's dehydrating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm caffeinating. Yeah. You're, you're young. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, you can do anything. You don't have to start worrying about that stuff until you hit about 40, 45. I thought 30, I kind of think 38 is the line of delineation uh-huh. where you start to age noticeably. Like, <laughs> right. like, you know what I mean? Like, like you never thought about hydration when no. you were 37 and younger. It just never even crossed your I never, mind. I never thought about stretching <laughs> until I hit 38. Yeah. I'd be at a pickup basketball game. Sean, you can back me up here. I'd be at a pickup basketball game, and they'd say, we need one more. You yeah. just walk on the court, and you play. Yeah, you just yep. go in. Yeah. Yep. Now now I'm running liners. I do a lap around the thing. <laughs> They're all waiting for me. I'm stretching my left leg. I get down into, like, different poses. I'm, like, I'm doing Pilates at midcourt. You know, I need someone else to grab my leg and stretch it. You know, then I go, okay, I'm ready. And they're like, we're, we're, we got to get back to work. <laughs> So, 38, line of delineation. That's what it is? Yep. That's when you start paying attention to what you eat. You're like, oh, I can't just have a hamburger every day, you know? I used to, I was in college. My friends would laugh at me because we'd go to the gym. We went to the gym all the time. But sometimes I was hungry. Like, I'd get get out of class. I need to eat something on the way to the gym. Yeah. And I would stop at, like, a gas station and get, like, a chimichanga at a gas station (laughs) or some JoJo's or something and be like, I just need a couple, I just need some energy food. And then I'm going into the gym as I'm digesting a chimichanga. I look back at that. I'm like, that's ridiculous. So that doesn't make me chomping down like beef jerky on the treadmill at the gym that weird. Yeah, I saw. I witnessed that one. Yeah. You were like 37, though, when yeah, you did that. you're right. So, yeah. It's right. protein. 38? No. Yeah. The source of protein. Yeah. Say so they sell it at the gym. Right. Just because they sell beer at your gym doesn't mean you should be drinking it. doesn't mean it's healthy for you. Okay? Well, you know, our good friend, Norm Maves, uh, he's a cyclist, and he's one of those people that likes to cycle with in groups. Mm. And he always laments to me that, you know, they'll go for, like, a nice, long, healthy bike ride in those tight shorts and the clicker-clacker shoes. <laughs> And, uh, but at the end of their long ride, they always like indulge like gluttony at some, you know, 
at some joint that has horrible high cholesterol food, and but they feel justified in eating it all because they've just cycled for two hours. It's a trade-off. Yeah. You know, you're working out, therefore you can eat like crap. Mm-hmm. But there are some people who eat like crap and don't work out. <laughs> and that's a bad recipe. You know, <laughs> treading water, you're not going to drown if you're treading. Okay? Yeah. But when you stop treading. By the way, have you guys seen this great white shark video with the shark? tank and all that stuff that circulating the discovery channel had it on their tiktok please tell me i'm not the only one that's seen this i have not i have i, I, I don't know what you're talking about i haven't yeah. but i'm gonna go look it up right now okay is I, this must be some kind of promo for shark I week i don't know what it is but i'm terrified and i'm not even in the water this guy's in the tank he's in australia and anna and i have been in a shark tank we went into one of these tanks in hawaii they take you out into the middle of the ocean they chum up the waters i'm not really sure if it's uh, ecologically uh We'll never do it again. The morality of that no, is it's not uh, ecologically little, sound. A little, little uh, skewed. But we got in the tank, and they chum the waters, and the shark's coming around, and it's cool. But I was terrified the whole time. I was like, my hands were down. I was like, don't bite my fingers off, whatever. You're in this iron cage. This dude is, he's got a snorkel mask on, and he's inside this shark cage, okay? It's not even a scuba mask. It's no. just a snorkel he's mask. He's snorkeling. Okay. And all of a sudden... Because you can you can breathe. You're in this cage that's floating. Right. All of a sudden, you hear them go, is your great white coming? Like they can see because they're filming <laughs> this from like a drone and all these other places on the ship that's nearby. So all of a sudden, this great white shark makes a beeline for the cage, rips the cage apart. Okay. <laughs> now, this guy does what any rational person would do. He climbs to the top of the cage. And he's just trying to like, what do I do? What do I do? Uh-huh. And the shark grabs the chain that was holding the cage, the you know the buoy that was attached yeah. to it, and rips the chain away. And then it cuts away before he tells me if he gets eaten. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm pretty sure he got eaten. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Would you guys ever get in a shark tank? No, I am not a fan of water, like especially like wild water like that. You know, mm. that's like, you know, sharks don't come onto land. This is our land. But you know what? I'm not going to yes. go into their territory. I'm not going to go into their home and just act like I know what I'm doing. So, no, I, I, I would say no because I'm afraid of all those sea animals. I said that same damn thing to Anna when we were snorkeling one time. I said, I don't belong out here. This is not my place. I'm in their place. That's how I feel. It's their yep. place. You know what? Keep me out of it. So I'm watching this video right now. I'm uh, watching it as I speak. But here's a question. Give so us play-by-play. Give us play yeah, by play. The the shark is just went under it. The guy's still in the cage. The shark's pretty much doing laps around this cage. Uh-huh. And now there's a bunch of little fishes around the cage. We're only about a minute and a half in. I don't have audio, but it seems like this guy's pretty nervous. Yeah. I would be too. <laughs> yeah. It's a I great would, white. Would, it's a massive shark. Would is you it guys not? rather encounter like a shark or like a bear or a cougar or something like that? Whatever. Oh, he just got attacked. Yeah. Wait, what, what, he did get one? attacked? Well, the it, the shark just pounced for the first time. Yeah. And here's my question: Would you rather have like a shark encounter or like a bear encounter? Like you're out on a hike mm-hmm. and you see like a cougar bear. or a bear. Cougar. Yeah, okay, bear. so the cougar. sea animals scare you more than like the the deathly. To Stephen's point, I'm not where I'm supposed to be on land. I know what I can do with these two legs. Like I know my speed in the ocean. <laughs> the sharks got me. Yeah, what am it, I going to do? Take two strokes and I'm dead. It's, you know? it's fair game. If you're in the water, it's fair game for anything to happen to you. You're yes. you're the road team. Yeah. It's like if you're in the water, playing dead doesn't work either, does it? 
you know, they say with certain animals out in the wild, play dead, and they'll just keep walking by <laughs> yeah. you. Like, I, I'm not even sure I believe that one, right. too. I, and I don't actually know, because there's certain animals, if you encounter them, you're supposed to get big, get wide, throw stuff at them. I haven't consulted, like, the, you know, yeah. scout handbook recently, I and I another, don't know which one it is. I saw another TikTok where there was a <laughs> possum, and he was walking by a lake. Yeah. It was a possum. And all of a sudden, out of the lake came an uh, alligator, crocodile, I don't know which. The possum played possum, okay? <laughs> the alligator or crocodile ate it and then took it into the uh, into the yeah, lake. It yeah. just ate it. It doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't Dan, work. To Anna's point, if you play dead in the water, they're just going to play with their food. Like, you're playing. <laughs> yeah. You're playing dead, yeah. They're going to play with you. Right. On the topic of yeah. animal encounters, like, I lived in Arizona uh, for a couple months this year, and I was, I'm terrified of snakes, and I knew there was rattlesnakes around the surrounding area. In Arizona, you know, rattlesnakes are more common. Yep. I lived for like for months. Every time I went outside, I was like a little in the back of my mind. I was like, rattlesnake, is there going to be a rattlesnake? And then I finally, after months of living there, my first rattlesnake encounter, it wasn't even that scary, honestly. Um, so yeah. I kind of just overhyped it. But uh, yeah, that's that's one of the animals that, I, that scares me the most. I am not a snake person. Yeah, I grew up in a little bit rural and we saw snakes and we saw rattlesnakes. The the rattlesnakes you got to worry about are the baby rattlesnakes. A little more venomous, to harder to find. I remember we had animals. My mom reached into a feed bag one time. We had a grain bag, and there was a rattlesnake in eee! the feed bag. Ah! And, you know, it's like, yeah, but nothing happened. But to, to the Shark Tank thing, we got, okay, we got uh, invited to go on one of those Shark Tank tours. And it was a, a uh, company called All About Hawaii. Great people. They're fantastic. And they were like, hey, do you, what do you want to do when you go to Hawaii? You want to go zip line? You want to do this? They know all the experiences, right? And, and I trust them. And they said, hey, go in this, this shark tank thing. It's really cool. They take you out in the ocean. The sharks swim around. You get an up-close uh, personal experience. Um, I thought, cool. <laughs> Great idea. We go out. We're in Maui. We go out early in the morning. These two dudes who um, are running the adventure seemed to know what they were doing. They, I, I had a lot of confidence in them, in part because my life was in their hands. But they get us in this boat along with another couple, and they start like it's like a it's like about a 12 foot little motorboat, and they get us in it. And as we're going out, they, we even see a whale. They're like, "Look, there's a whale," and we're like, "This is the coolest thing ever." But we get out to the shark tank. By the time we get out there. We're both massively seasick, and I'm ready to honk, and I know you were too because we were kind of looking at each other like this is not good. It was a choppy day in the ocean, <laughs> and they, they say to me, like, I'm ready, I'm ready to throw up in front of, like, two guides and another couple, like, without shame, and they say to me, who want, like, they announce, who wants to go first? I raise my hand because I'm like, I'd rather throw up in the ocean than throw up in this boat. So I, I climb into the cage, out of the boat. I'm in the cage. I have a snorkel mask on and a snorkel. That's it. And you're in this cage. And the cage is iron. And it is about, you know, it's enough for four people to comfortably fit inside of it. But it's got plexiglass around the outside of it. So, like, you can have your hands on the iron cage. And, you know, the sharks aren't going to easily bite your fingers. But still, I was afraid to grab it. And the minute I grabbed it, I knew I was in trouble because... It was the same experience that I was in the boat. The cage was kind of bobbing up and down and up and down. And I suddenly was like, I'm going to honk. And so I did. I threw up in the water. And 
three other people are in the cage with me as I'm throwing up. And so, like, my breakfast is floating all around us in the water. It's just disgusting. And the sharks are loving it because they're like, chum! And they come swimming over. But I have never – I remember popping my head up out of the water and looking at the two guides, and they were just laughing because I don't think I was the only one who threw up. You were. The rest of us, all four of us, threw up. Yeah. So we were all swimming in, swimming it. in each other's oh. vomit Gross. in this shark cage. <laughs> like you and I had had strawberries and yogurt, There's... and there it was floating in the plexiglass cage with these two Brits. And they were throwing up as well. So we're doing the best. You're doing the best you can to hold on to the iron cage and enjoy the fact that you're, you know, you've got sharks on the other side. But you can't ignore the fact that you are totally seasick and emptying, you know, as it's coming up. It's Just so one, one of those great unforgettable experiences. <laughs> um, but, you know, what? I was never scared of the sharks. The sharks were like tiger sharks you know they weren't like it wasn't jaws yeah now sean correct me if i'm wrong the shark in that video is massive yeah yeah this thing is uh this is about as scary as it gets this shark here it's a great white and as our middle daughter will tell you the great white has 60 rows of teeth that are uh, a razor sharp and can cut through metal and so I, the part where the shark bites through that chain that has the cage attached is when I, I sort of side with Steve, and I'm like, that's their world. Like, who knows what that great white shark is doing on its own time? This cage is just curious to it, and it's and it's pissed <laughs> off. And it apparently wants that, that human being that's in there snorkeling where he shouldn't be snorkeling. <laughs> that's like Jaws. I remember watching Jaws at way too young of an age, like yeah, five years old. I was four. And... Uh, and so, like, so scared, so scared to even take a shower, to do anything that had to do with water for, yeah. like, two weeks. I was faking. Two weeks? That I'm, I, I'm still scared. No, I really, I went two weeks without taking a shower. I would turn the water on, and I would run it, and I Well, you think a shark was going to come out of the shower I head? Don't, yeah, it was totally, but in my five-year-old mind, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with water right now. Yeah, I, I'm with <laughs> Steven, because, Anna, you remember, we were on our honeymoon. We went to uh, we went to no was it our honeymoon no it was just it was a trip we took to Belize yes and I'm not a diver no I like the beach but I like to be on the beach <laughs> Anna was like let's kayak out to the reef and all these divers are out there going off into the unknown and you know I'm snorkeling but I'm terrified I'm like hyperventilating while I'm <laughs> snorkeling because I don't know uh, same thing I'm in their world yeah. here comes a manta ray. And I, all I could think about was Steve Ir Irwin getting stabbed in the heart by the manta ray. And so I'm like, I'm holding my chest. You clutch. I'm clutching my chest because I don't want to die there on the reef. <laughs> I don't like it. I'm with Steven. Man. I'll just, I'm a ahead. city boy. I'm a city boy. I, I don't want to live in the water. I'm not, I don't want animals. Just keep, keep your wildlife <laughs> away from me. All of it. Every single animal, keep away from me. Agreed. That would be a good TikTok Agreed. account. You should do an account because you always have these people that like live with tigers and they wrestle around. You'd be like the anti guy. Yeah. And all you do is go, nope, 
<laughs> no, thank you. If I'm doing some kind of water excursion, catch me with the dolphins. That's that's about it. And in society, I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's so expensive if you go on vacation to swim with the dolphins. But I feel like that is the, the best experience that you can have. Forget a deep sea, ocean, shark experiences. That You'll never catch me doing that. I don't know. I've seen some SeaWorld videos that are disturbing, too. Well, so those dolphins, yeah, they're really smart. Like, they're really smart and they communicate. They're so friendly. Uh, yeah, I was, I was friendly. Not. They're friendly. They're all friendly. Right. Did you see the video of the woman? <laughs> yeah, you the, know, I'd rather have that though than what I'm watching here on the uh, my screen. The shark. For people to know, what we're talking about this woman is ready to. The dolphin's going to swim up and kiss her, and it doesn't. It doesn't stop with a kiss. It got to third base. It literally Hey-o. jumped on her and gyrated on her like it was trying to create the first ever dolphin human. And and the the handler didn't know what to do, so it went on for an extended period of time. Well, you don't want to block it. I mean, you don't want to be a blocker. <laughs> the woman's just cracking up because she's totally defenseless. Yeah, she's got her legs like around the dolphin, <laughs> and the dolphin is going to work on her, and uh, and uh, it's just horrifying. Aren't dolphins like one of the only uh, animals that actually do that for fun? You know, like. Not, they not, have recreational. Not, they have recreational, uh, you know. I don't know. I haven't checked in with bears and manta rays and sharks on the subject, Anna. Again, it goes but, to the point that there's no rules in the water. You know, <laughs> I guess it's okay for dolphins just to do that. There, yeah. There are no that rules. That dolphin did on, not ask consent. Let's just land, put it that way. Yeah, on land, you can't do that. But in the water, I guess, you know what? There's no laws. That dolphin should be put away. All right, we got some uh, Punch It audio coming up. Thank you for stopping by. Now back into the furnace for you, Anna. Uh, Make sure you hydrate out there. Uh, Leave it here. You got the bald face, Drew. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Can we put something to rest before we play Punch It Audio? We know now Stephen is not a water person. We also know uh, I'm not getting in a shark tank again. But can we put to rest? Did, did Do you guys think that Kevin Warren of the Big Ten betrayed George Klyovkov for the Pac-12? You know, I'm, I've got this photo. I found it on my phone of the two guys at uh, the Oregon-Ohio State game. They are in the press box together. They are hanging out. They got their arms around each other. Warren, you know, not even a year later, takes USC and UCLA to the Big Ten. Is it a betrayal? I don't think that it is. I think that he is doing what's best for his pocket and for the schools and universities that he represents. So I think it's a purely business move. Is it ethical? Maybe not, but I don't think it's a betrayal. Like I think it's just more of a business move savvy move to get more money yeah i think you know in life you kind of have to stand up for yourself and you know if if like someone that goes and takes another job like that's not a betrayal for leaving the job that you're currently at the only thing that makes me think it's a little bit of a betrayal is the alliance that they had and you know the, the friendship that clearly they had from what you're describing but the fact that they had a written alliance whatever that meant clearly the alliance was out the window the second that uh Pac-12 was poached, so it, the alliance kind of makes me think it's a betrayal. Other than that, I mean, the Big Ten's just kind of doing what's best for it. I think there's a quote from the Hunger Games. Suzanne Collins wrote those Hunger Games books. We've all seen the movies, and she wrote, 
for there to be betrayal, there would have had to been trust first. Because, you know, we, we see poor form all the time in sports. We see, uh, you know, teams will poach players from each other. We all say it's in the name of business, and we sort of accept it as different. And we also see it in, in business. We see companies that will hire away good employees from other companies. We, we see lawsuits all the time in the tech world about, you know, uh, you know, company secrets and uh, theft of intellectual property and all, you know, who's stealing what idea from what company. But I kind of I, – I would have to know more about their friendship But because what we know about the USC-UCLA thing is that they it had been visited months before it became a thing. We also know that Warren and Klyovkov were hanging out. Were they hanging out, talking to each other about, you know, hey – it's just business. If one of us ever gets in a position where we have to steal the team from the other, we'll shake hands about it. I, I don't know if that fits the alliance because the alliance was about not letting the SEC in particular run away with college football. And now it's the SEC and the Big Ten. And it's almost like the Big Ten has the alliance with the SEC, isn't it? Yeah, and was it the fact that the Big Ten – was the Big Ten Kevin Warren talking to Klyovkov while they're also talking to US, USC, UCLA, trying to bring him in and just being fake to George's face, right? Like, I guess that would be the betrayal, but now it's – you know, the Big Ten saw an opportunity to kind of go toe-to-toe with the SEC, and so they did it. So I I don't fault him for doing it at all. It sucks as a Pac-12 fan, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of SEC 1, SEC 2 now. I feel like – the business of college football it's it's way too serious for you know a friendship to to kind of take over like if uh if if the big 10 commissioner was just like you know i want to poach usc and ucla the opportunity's there but i don't want to do that to george like it doesn't feel like that is uh is something that would happen you know in college football it's it college football and college sports is way too big for a friendship to over to overhaul that I'll be really curious to see what Klyovkov says on that front on Friday. Yeah, and I mean, we all saw it. Sorry, John. We wanted the NIL. We wanted all the money. We wanted all these big-time things, and it's happening, and now this is what happens in big-time business is people make business decisions, and that's exactly what the Big Ten is doing. So we shouldn't be shocked or mad about it. I think it, it, it matters to me what was said over their dinners. What were they talking about? Were they saying, "Hey, look, we, you know, we in their meetings, what were they really talking about? Hey, we need to keep the you, you know, keep the SEC honest. We need to, uh, you know, band together and we need to do what's right for our conferences. Let's, let's, do we care about college football? Because it feels like the Big Ten threw that out the window and went to hell with this. We're with the halves. And and if that happened, I think Klyovkov would probably be more betrayed by the idea or the concept that the Big Ten, you know, did something that wasn't great for college football than the fact that they actually took two teams from Georgia's stable. But if I'm Klyovkov, I'm not happy with this. Like, I reached out to him after it happened. He told me, uh, he he said he's he couldn't give me a comment. He said, I am I look forward to being able to talk to you about this when I can. I thought it was a really tactful response. I expect nothing you know, less from him, but uh, other people around the conference, not that happy. I've had other people who have said USC lied right to his face. Um, And that's the other thing is the betrayal by Kevin Warren or is the betrayal by USC and UCLA? Yeah, I, 
That's a good point. I think you might be right, and it might be maybe it is more in USC and UCLA looking for greener pastures. I mean, that's I never really thought about that because Kevin Warren has been painted out as this villain, especially here in Pac-12 territory. Yeah, no, it's yeah. it's interesting, and I feel like you know, John, do you think that considering this happened about a month ago now, do you feel like when George? talks on Friday, I feel like as we speak, he's preparing and he's he's talking with PR people about what to yep. say. How, how carefully scripted do you think it's going to be or do you think it's going to be really authentic? I think he's going to be scripted to start. I think as he begins to take questions, we're going to find out what he really thinks because, you know, that's often at, in these news conference settings. I mean, you know, listen to the pacing of Kevin Warren here as he's talking here uh, and making his opening statement. Uh, you know, he's talking about expansion. And regarding expansion... I get asked every single day, what's next? It may include future expansion, but it will be done for the right reasons, at the right time, with our student-athletes, academic and athletic empowerment at the center of any and all decisions that we will make regarding any further expansions. We will not expand just to expand. It will be strategic, it will add additional value to our conference, and it will provide a platform to even have our student-athletes be put on a larger platform so they can build their careers, but also that they have an opportunity to grow and learn from an education and from an athletic standpoint. Same commissioner speaking in July about the alliance and why the alliance didn't have a contract associated with it. It was a handshake deal. Bruce, good to hear your voice. And again, I think it's a great question. And and even though I'm a lawyer, I mean, but uh, one of the things that one of my uh, most favorite law professors at uh, Notre Dame would say that uh, uh, if you have to go back and look at a contract that you signed, you probably entered a deal with the wrong parties. And then I think what that says is our contracts important. Absolutely. They're critically important. But where we are in college athletics right now, uh, what we really need is, is things to be stable. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. I mean, you look at the NCAA going through the Constitutional Convention review. I mean, we have NIL. We have Austin. We have CFP expansion. We have the gender equity you know, issues. I mean, we have many, many issues that we have to deal with, and especially conference realignment. And so we just felt that we could look each other in the eyes shake each other's hand to say that we have a fiduciary responsibility to the past student-athletes, our current student-athletes, and the future student-athletes uh, to be able to do something that is right, you know, for once. Kevin Warren bringing stability to the college football landscape by uh, reaching into the Pac-12 conference. Uh, look, I don't know that any conference commissioner would have done anything different if you have a chance to grab the LA TV mark. And, and to be fair to UCLA and USC, uh, you know, I've talked to several ADs within the conference who have told me, you know what, anybody who says they wouldn't have gone for that money is lying to you. Um, at the same time, people aren't happy with it. Uh, it's gonna, Friday's going to be uh, an incredible media day. I hope you're here for it. We are going to be wall-to-wall on this show from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. On Friday's show, we will have Chip Kelly. We will have Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith. We will have George Klyovkov one-on-one in this show. I got the itinerary uh, earlier today. We will have uh, all the Pac-12 coaches, all the star players, 
all of them one-on-one. This show will be on-site for Pac-12 Media Day, and I think it's going to be an incredible experience. I think it will be the most memorable Media Day in conference history. Leave it here. Get the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio show part of their day. Uh, I will encourage you to follow me on Twitter at John Canzano BFT as Friday approaches. I'll have the schedule with everybody we're going to have on the show, but I can tell you it'll be Jonathan Smith, uh, Oregon State football coach, Dan Lanning at Oregon, David Shaw at Stanford, Kyle Whittingham at Utah, George Kleofkoff, the commissioner, Chip Kelly, Lincoln Riley among the guests on Friday's show. First time to go one-on-one with Lincoln Riley as well, so it'll be a lot of fun, and I hope you're here for it. Let's play some Punch It audio. It's the best sound from all around. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. J.R. Smith talking about Damian Lillard in Portland. It wasn't pretty. Here's what Jr. said. Punch it. Right. That's why. Like that's how I feel about Dame. Like I love Dame. I love his game. I respect him for you know what I mean, doing what he what he's doing. But at the same time, it's like you just going rot in, in Portland, <laughs> bro. Like you you are unbelievable. He's two point up. Yeah, <laughs> literally. Like go get, give me a bucket. Mm-hmm. He's gonna get it. And he's showing up. He's gonna play hard as hell. All of that, but I'm not. But, but that's nice. I'm not but, about to rot in DC. But, like but, it's but, nice place. But that's what I'm saying. The city is nice. <laughs> but I'm not about my career. Like I'm trying to but, win, bro. But not for that 250. Trying to win. Jr. Smith talking about rotting in Portland. Portland's not going to like Jr. for that. There's some truth in it, though. I mean, I wouldn't use the term rot, but you know, we're talking about the NBA. We we like to bang on college football for the lack of parity. There are other sports like the NBA that don't have parity either. And I think, uh, you know, the NBA is at the front of the line there. The NFL's done a nice job with geographic parity and uh, competitive parity. The NBA has not. Small market teams at a huge disadvantage. And guess what? Um, If you are a Blazer fan, that's not good. Hey, John. I'm sorry, I wanted to jump in. If I'm Dame and I'm going to rot in Portland, I would love to uh, make $449 million through 2027 because that's what he's going to do. He's going to make more money than he can make elsewhere. At some point, I do think Damian Lillard will get impatient, but I think he's I think he is uh, more mature than J.R. Smith. We know that. Adam Schefter says Julio Jones to Tampa Bay. Punch it. Well, Field, the biggest free agent wide receiver out there, Julio Jones has reached agreement with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a one-year contract. And so Tom Brady gets another target in Tampa. Julio Jones going to the Buccaneers on a one-year deal. Big pickup for them right now. And obviously they now will have Russell Gage from Atlanta. They'll have Julio Jones in Atlanta. Don't think this is a reflection of where Chris Godwin's at. I think the team still expects Godwin to be back at some point in time. But Julio Jones... Is taking it right now 
for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Godwin had an ACL and MCL tear in week 15 of last season. And, you know, he has been cleared to play. But it's not clear when he'll get back into the lineup and how good he will be. Julio Jones was in Tennessee last year. He remains a big weapon. But I think his age and injuries, he only had 31 catches. He had a single touchdown last season. I think he'll do better in Tampa. I think it works because Tampa's not looking to him to be an anchor this season. They're looking for him to compliment uh, and, and help out with the loss of, of Chris Godwin. But I think this works in a number of ways. Coming up uh, next hour, we'll give you the 5 at 5. It'll include some NFL business, the 49ers moving on from Jimmy Garoppolo. Also, uh, some more talk about expansion and the federal government getting involved in college athletics. Do you want the government involved in college athletics? I'll cue the the voices of people saying, don't they have better things to do? Well, we'll talk about what whether or not they really do have better things to do than get involved in college athletics coming up in hour number three. I want you to stay tuned. You'll get an update here, top of the hour. Plus, we'll give you the five at five on the other side of the break. Leave it here. you got the Bald Face Truth statewide. You're listening to the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Hydrate, stay cool on the break, and we'll be back with more after this. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. Well, the happy hour is upon us. We'll start it with the 5 at 5. We'll talk about the NFL, Major League Baseball, plus your favorite sports team. How glued... And how loyal are you to your sports team anymore? And has that changed over the years? Loyalty, part of the question when it comes to the Big Ten, USC, UCLA. How about loyalty to your sports franchise? Talk about that this hour. But we'll start with the five at five. It's the five biggest, most important things, kind of, sort of, going on in the world of sports. Let's do it. The five at five. I want to start with the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo. They've been, he's been their quarterback. He even took him to a Super Bowl. Kyle Shanahan talking to reporters, saying uh, the team has moved on. And he would have been traded if he hadn't had that shoulder surgery. Here's Shanahan. I promise you, Shanahan. You know, Jimmy understands where we're at. We understand where we're at. Like, I can't tell you how appreciative I have been of Jimmy and him being here. And so appreciative what he did for us last year. I think Jimmy and we knew what move we made the year before on that. Um, Jimmy did a hell of a job coming to camp and winning that job and taking us real close to the Super Bowl. Um, but we have uh, moved on to Trey. We're starting camp out this way. Um, we think Jimmy would have been traded if the surgery didn't happen. Uh, and it did. He needed to do it. So there's no ill will there at all. Um, but it's good to see that he is healthy. Um, but now it's all just seeing how this will end up. It's a fascinating study because you see uh, it done wrong in Cleveland as Baker Mayfield was shown the door and Sean Watson came in and it was messy. Kyle Shanahan has somehow managed to keep this Jimmy Garoppolo thing civil and professional. Um, I don't know how it's going to end. I don't know if Trey Lance is going to be the answer in San Francisco, but the Niners started their first day of practice by seeing Debo Samuel show up. That was big. He's not going to hold out after the offseason. And then 
They handed the keys to Trey Lance in a very professional manner. Keep an eye on that. Kyler Murray, he got a new deal. Everybody's talking about it. And they're not talking about the dollar figures, although the dollar figures are nice. Kyler Murray's contract includes a clause that requires him to put in study, work study. He's got to watch film. He has a mega deal. Five years, $230 million, $160 million guaranteed. But everybody's talking about the fact that he has to put in at least four hours of independent study. This is not breaking news today. But everybody looking at Kyler Murray's contract going, why was this included? It's important to him. It's important to the team. Was he not doing the work? Rich Eisen weighed in on it. After a week one game against Kansas City Chiefs, do you know what Patrick Mahomes will be doing the week leading up to that game against the Arizona Cardinals? His own independent study without Andy Reid or the Hunt family having to codify it in black and white. And that's what I would tell Kyler Murray is when you face Derek Carr's team in week two, when you face Matthew Stafford's team in week three, and you bet when you face Baker Mayfield's Carolina Panthers in week four, guess what they'll be doing leading up? Their own independent study. And we don't need to babysit how much time you're doing and making sure you're not watching TV or playing a video game while you're supposed to be doing it. And that's what I would tell Kyler Murray. Infantilize him. Because this contract clause being made public has done exactly that. Kyler Murray's deal requires him to put in those four hours. I agree with Rich Eisen. It's silly. You should be doing the work. You shouldn't have to be reminded in writing. I get it. It gives the Cardinals a measure of accountability, but it makes everybody look childish. Number three in our five at five, let's go to Big Ten Media Day, where Nicole Arbach of The Athletic heard Kevin Warren, the Big Ten Conference Commissioner, talk about federal intervention on the NIL front. Arbach later went on and made a radio appearance in which she talked about what she thinks is important. I don't really know, you know, if there is going to be federal legislation, if there is going to be, you know, federal help here, or even if it's going to be what some of these leaders are even want. Um, but I think what they're really asking for is the ability to have rules and regulations around this stuff and not get sued. And we know that, you know, they've, they've, they're trying to get antitrust protections. Um, and Mark Emmert has asked about that, has talked about that. But really, again, in, in a world after last summer's Supreme Court ruling, like the NCAA has to be really careful. And that's why I just think this is all going to be deregulated. Like to your earlier point about, you know, the Big Ten could set their own rules yeah. and see what happens from that. Like that is more likely to happen because that is a better strategy in this legal environment. You can't collude with all of these other conferences and all of these other schools to, to set restrictions on this for athletes. I, I, we're just not going to go in that direction. And we're There it is, Nicole Arbach of The Athletic talking about it. I thought it was interesting when UCLA made their move to the Big Ten. In the news release, Athletic Director Martin Jarmond and Chancellor of UCLA, Gene Block, wrote, quote, this move will enhance name, image, and likeness opportunities. They're selling it to athletes the move being the it, as a positive that, hey, you're going to share in this success too. But we all know that the reason why the Big Ten and others want NIL legislation is 
They would like to keep more money for themselves. They would like to keep the sponsors that are supporting their programs, supporting their programs, and not peeling off to support the starting quarterback instead. They're also worried about competition from those who have deeper pockets, more disposable income, the ability, as we've seen on National Signing Day, for a smaller college to reach out and go, you know what, you want to come to our university, we're going to cut you a bigger, better deal. It's a big debate, a big discussion. Uh, I find it interesting that they are looking for federal intervention in the Big Ten Conference. Maybe college athletics needs some of that intervention. Let's go to Kevin Warren, Big Ten Conference Commissioner. He made a bold claim today. He talked about the three biggest markets in America, and the Big Ten's got them. Here's Kevin Warren. We are blessed now, especially with the addition of the University of California, Los Angeles, and the University of Southern California, that we will have a footprint in the three major media markets from New York to Los Angeles to Chicago, which will allow us to be even bolder when it comes to corporate partnership and activation. So I look forward to building a very successful and robust business in that area. Rutgers needed to get a bigger share of that pie. They're bringing the largest media market to the Big Ten with the New York media market. Look, I get it. It's about televisions. It's about number of households that you can deliver. In the end, Kevin Warren understands he has L.A., he has New York, he has Chicago. He's just not calling them by their formal names. It's Rutgers, it's Northwestern, it's UCLA and USC. Let's be real. Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan State, Penn State, those are the powers in the Big Ten Conference. But the media markets of Chicago, New York, and L.A. are driving the bus right now. Finally, Jim Harbaugh, as part of Media Day, Michigan coach, promised to keep attacking and keep building. Michigan coach talked about rival Ohio State. They lost to Ohio State last year. When he was asked about traveling to Columbus, Ohio to play the Buckeyes this season, Harbaugh said, quote, my players won't flinch. There's nothing I really got to teach them or show them or tell them. I know our team well by now. They don't blink. They don't flinch. They just keep attacking and building. That's our goal, and we're going to win the championship again, end quote. He got beat 42-27 last year at Ohio State. He'll have to go back there this season. Jim Harbaugh not going to flinch in the face of all that. I also wonder... As I look at Jim Harbaugh, who left Stanford for the Big Ten Conference oh so many years ago, uh, I wonder about Jim Harbaugh, if there's a lesson there for UCLA. He has uh, mattered at times at Michigan, but he does not enjoy the success in the Big Ten Conference that everybody thought he would have, and he's doing it at Michigan, one of the halves. What's UCLA going to face when they get into the Big Ten Conference? It's a big question. That's the five at five. Five kind of sort of important things that I think you need to know about. Let's go through them real quick, guys. Uh, Trey Lance, Jimmy Garoppolo, what is Kyle Shanahan doing that other coaches and other NFL teams and other professional teams in general have not done? Well, you know, I think it's interesting with this, this with Trey Lance because he didn't have a lot of experience in college, uh, and there's some people that love him, some people that hate him. And so I think when you just look at Jimmy Garoppolo, I think Shanahan looks at him and says, you know what, he's fine, but we need to be 
some we need to be a team that has a lot of uh, explosion on offense. And Trey Lance hopefully potentially can do that for the 49ers. That's what he's got to be thinking. And I think that Cal Shannon actually was just honest about Jimmy Garoppolo's situation the whole time. And as an adult, and Garoppolo was an adult as well, which is very unique in sports that <laughs> both players are the player and the coach were honest with each other and, you know, told him what they wanted. And now it seems like Garoppolo is going to be inevitably cut. Where does he go? I don't know with that, but it, it, it's refreshing to see some honesty uh, out of yeah. the athletes and coaches. I, I just think it, it, it speaks well of both of them that you've got what could be a really bad, really ugly situation kind of been quiet on that front uh let's let's uh pivot now to kyler uh murray and that contract uh, roundly criticized as if uh you know we we should all assume that you're doing the work did the arizona cardinals do a disservice to their quarterback by putting it in writing yes they did because everyone's making fun of them but i'm not actually shocked by this i think i think if people knew sometimes with these athletes how little that some of them put in because they are so God-given that he hasn't had to study. He hasn't had to work on his game. He is that athletically good. He was a top 10 pick in baseball and in football. That's how good of an athlete Kyler Murray is, and he's relied on that athleticism his whole career. I'm In sports, you know, I know that we all want to think if I was a professional athlete, I would work on my game 24-7, but that's just not how it works. You know, I, when I was with the Blazers, I remember hearing the story, um, Reese Cheeks was the coach. And this guy was doing a lot of scouting reports, and he he had a feeling that Cheeks wasn't watching the reports. So what he did was he sealed the uh, the tape that he sent to him because Cheeks would just give him random answers that didn't make sense. And so then he mm-hmm. went back the next day, and the tapes were still sealed, but Cheeks said he watched them, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like I think it's a lot more common than people, people actually know that athletes don't necessarily take it as seriously as we would want them to. I think it's fascinating. Uh, finally, let's talk a little bit about, you know, uh, NIL, federal government involvement. You know, would it be good for the government to be involved in regulating name image likeness? I don't know. I feel like it gets way too complicated at that point. Um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if if the government gets involved and, you know, I was I was really surprised earlier when you played a, um, a Donald Trump cut like that that was just like wait he's talking about this like mm-hmm. i feel like they're they're obviously the cliche and it's true there needs to be some kind of overruling uh power here and it can't be the government so i i don't think it i think it gets too complicated if you involve them i had president obama on this show he was the first very first day i did the show he came on the show and it was weird to talk to somebody who went on to become president he wasn't president at the time he's running for president but uh, I decided I don't want to talk to him about politics. I want to talk to him about sports. And I don't mind, and I think it's okay for people in sports to have viewpoints outside of sports. Like, you know, you don't need to stick to sports. I'm I'm mostly going to do it on this show because I don't want to alienate half the audience if somebody doesn't agree or disagree with a political viewpoint. I just don't think that that's what the purpose of this show should be. Uh, but I kind of like it when – Politicians do like and appreciate and care about sports in the same way that I care that university presidents care and like and appreciate and understand sports. But I don't necessarily think it's great if college athletics creates a system and then can't control the system by themselves. And I think what they're asking for is they're asking for intervention. And I asked U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, you know, state of Oregon, 
you know, would they get involved in name image likeness? And he kind of said, yeah, but I got the impression it wasn't a high priority item. So I think um, I think we're going to get, you know, federal legislation ultimately, but only because the NCAA and college athletics is so inept that it can't do it itself. And to me, that's a big red flag. If you if you are okay with bringing in rules, you should be able to manage those rules. As a parent, I can't have rules in the car, in our household, if I can't enforce them. I can't have that. It's it, it doesn't mean anything. And I think that's what has happened here with college athletics, that the NCAA has become so lifeless and so ineffective that it has to look to government like if I'm a, a U.S. senator and I'm being asked to come in and weigh in on name, image, likeness, my first question is, didn't you create this system? What's wrong with you? Like, figure it out. Like, you know, manage your own house. And so for that reason, I don't want them involved, but I fear that's where we're going to head because I don't think college athletics can do this. Yeah, and oh, admittedly, yeah. Um, I'm not – I'm not the biggest Nick Saban fan, but he's been kind of pounding the drum about we need guidelines, we need guidelines. And he's he's right, because I feel like if this doesn't get controlled, if this doesn't get regulated, it's going to be the USC's and the Texas's and the Alabama's, like the big schools that you know have big boosters that are going to be running away with these things, and your Oregon states and your Washington states are going to be left behind. Here's what Saban said, um, and I want people to listen to this, because maybe it's just me, but whenever I hear Nick Saban talk, I hear Nick Saban saying, uh, you know, hey, I'm a little worried about this because I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to continue to dominate college sports. But here he is talking about the NCAA being in trouble because he says the NCAA can't enforce rules. Here's Saban on that front. I don't know what are the best guidelines right, for us to have to create the competitive balance. Um, and I don't know where it needs to come from. Um, I think if the NCAA is going to be able to implement their rules, they need some kind of protection from litigation um, because right now I think they have a difficult time implementing rules because of lawsuits. There it is. Lawsuits. Too, much, too many lawsuits. Here he is talking about competitive balance. You know, the thing that I have, um, you know, sort of expressed um, not concerns about, but um, there's got to be some uniformity and protocol of how name, image, and likeness is implemented. Uh, and I think there's probably a couple factors that are important in that. Uh, how does this impact um, competitive balance, you know, in college athletics? Um, and is there transparency to maintain fairness? Uh, across the board in terms of college athletics and how do we protect the players because there's more and more people that are trying to get between you know the player and the money the biggest concern is you know how does this impact and affect recruiting uh, because on the recruiting trail right now there's a lot of people using this as um, inducements to go to their school by making promises as to whether they may or may not be able to keep uh, in terms of, um, you know, what players are doing. And I, I think that, um, you know, that is what can create um, a competitive balance issue uh, between the haves and the have-nots. Uh, and we're one of the haves. 
So, you know, don't, don't think that what I'm saying is a concern that we have in Alabama because um, we're, we're one of the halves. Uh, uh, do you buy what he's saying there? Does Nick Saban care about college football to the point where, you know, he's saying, hey, forget about us, we're one of the half. I kind of think I, I think it's a little different. I think it's more nuanced than that. I think he is worried that name, image, likeness, and all this stuff is going to affect the empire that he's built. I, I think in a vacuum, it's easy to listen to that and be like, okay, Nick Saban, you, you're you winning. Like, why are you the one complaining about this? But the more I listen to that, especially with that last little statement there saying, we're one of the halves, so don't aggregate this and think that. I, I honestly think he's just looking out for the sport, and he doesn't want to dominate every single year. Um, you know, he, he, wants, he wants what's best for the sport, and I think he wants competitive balance, not for Alabama's sake, but again, for for the smaller schools that that might be getting kind of boat raced a little bit here. So I honestly, again, I'm not, I sometimes I don't agree with what Nick Saban says and I feel like he can complain a little bit, but I don't think that statement you just played is one of the, the bad ones. I honestly think that he right there, he's, he's kind of looking out for the sport and saying, Hey, we need guidelines for, for the ones that are falling behind right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't agree with that. I think he would love to dominate college football forever. Um, because you know it's going to make him more and more money because there's there's going to be whether it is a true minor league to the NFL or a college football system there's going to be some type of collegiate football for players after high school before the NFL so I understand what you're saying how he would love for you know competitive balance but I do think that he's also just saying it as it's a change right and he doesn't want the yeah. athletes that he is that he that is on his team to be paid more than he is. Right, he dealt with that in the NFL, where guys were paid more than him, and he didn't like it. He wasn't very good, so I think he just doesn't want the the college game to turn into a you know an NFL type game where his players are making more than he does. Here he is four years ago talking about the potential expansion of the playoff. Okay, here's a guy who's dominating the playoff. I was opposed to going from two teams to four teams, and um, look, I think there's been a unique thing about college football that. A lot of people get a lot of positive self-gratification from being able to go to a bowl game. That means you had a successful season. A lot of players get rewarded for that. And I think the playoff has become and will continue to become as it expands, if it's expanded, to minimize the importance of those games. Maybe to the point where those games won't even exist. And I'm not sure that that is the best thing overall for college football. So that's always been, you know, I, when we had a two-team playoff, I said if we go to four teams, it's going to minimize that. So, you know, you're going to see more players not playing in bowl games. You're going to see less people going to bowl games. You're going to see the quality of bowl games, you know, maybe, uh, or the importance of them sort of disintegrate, right, which I'm not sure is good for college football. So, um I'm I'm not really for going to eight teams in the playoff. Uh, It's a hypothetical question that I have enough issues and problems to solve without thinking about how I'm going to manage something that may or may not even happen. What do you guys think of that? you think he he wants no expansion in the playoff in 2018 because he's dominating the the four-team playoff? Or do you think he really does care about the bowl season? Yeah, see, I think he just wants to dominate. And I think he is 
not scared of change because he obviously is at the best program in the nation, but he seems like a real football guy that wants to keep traditions alive. And he even said, you know, when it went to four, he didn't like it as much because it took away from the regular season. I think it's more just like he just likes to dominate. And if there's more teams, there's more chances for him to face off against good schools and chances to knock him off. I, I think he's just, you know, just judging off all of these these uh, statements that we've been kind of talking about, whether it's the Chip Kelly thing with like the fast paced offense back in the day, or you know yep. some of these these things that we just played. I think he's just a traditionalist, and you know the guy's in his seventies. He's been dominating this sport for almost twenty years, and um, you know I think sometimes his some uh, when he speaks out, it's it's less so about like oh. I, I, I want I want this to happen or not happen so we can keep winning. And I think sometimes it's more so like I like the way college football is and I, I don't like NIL or I don't like what's happening here. So I, he just strikes me as someone that likes things, keeping things exactly the way that they are. Yeah, and I think when you're having success, like I do think you can simultaneously advocate for what's best for the game while you're having success. But while you're having success, I think it's, you know your tendency is going to be like, hey, how do I keep this going? Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I want to talk about loyalty, fan loyalty, specifically your loyalty. What teams are you loyal to? Why are you loyal? Are you more loyal now than before? Do you find that your young fans in your household are as loyal as they you, you used to be as a kid? Uh, I want to go around the room, but I want your phone calls as well at 503-417-7575. I grew up, I was a diehard Niners fan, San Francisco Giants fan. I rooted for the Warriors when the Warriors weren't worth a damn. I, uh, you know, I didn't really have a college team. Uh, uh, we rooted for San Jose State because it was geography. But, man, I was loyal to the San Jose State Spartans. I might have been fan number one in 1979, 1980, uh, Jack Elway coach teams. Uh, who were your teams? Were you loyal to them? Has that loyalty changed? I think it has. I wonder what realignment in college football will do to loyalty. I wonder what television in general has done to loyalty. For example... You're a Blazer fan. You're a young Blazer fan growing up in the state of Oregon. If your family doesn't have or didn't have Comcast, Sportsnet, Northwest back in the day, or NBC Sports Northwest, uh, you probably didn't get to see your team a whole bunch. And in fact, you know, on this radio show, I made a big deal about the fact that the Blazer games weren't widely available. It was a crusade, so to speak. Do you remember this? This is what we did. This is a bold-faced truth. News alert. Blazers fans held hostage. Day number 3,463. Blazer fans can no longer get the Blazer games because Blazers have sold out and took a $120 million deal in exchange for having their games on cable television. No games on free television. No games on KGW, at least, or no games on local TV. You had to wait for a TNT or ESPN game in order to see your team. How much loyalty can you have if you can't see your team play games? Has it changed you? I want to know. 503-417-7575. Stephen, let's talk loyalty. Who were your teams? How loyal were you as a kid? And do you see loyalty in sports changing from a fan standpoint in today's world? Yeah, so growing up, uh, definitely a Blazer fan for sure. Uh, you know, Being around the area, I was always around watching 
uh, the you know the 90, 91, 91, 92 highlight tapes uh, for the Blazers and listening to Rip City Rhapsody, all that kind of stuff. Bust a bucket. Uh, so yeah, I mean I I'm still loyal to the Blazers, uh, but like I've said, I I used to work for the Blazers in their scouting department. And I got laid off, so that emotional part to me has gone away a little bit, and I think that's pretty fair. Or else I would probably be still be a pretty diehard Blazer fan. Uh, as long as I for football, I I grew up. I didn't have a team. My my family all grew up in Freeport, Illinois, so they were big Packer fans because that's closer to uh, Freeport than the Bears are. So they were huge Packer fans, but I just never jumped on board. So I chose the Cowboys after they won the Super Bowl. I remember I was I think mean, I was five years old. I said, whoever wins between the Bills and the Cowboys, that's my team. And Emmett Smith won in the Cowboys, so that was my team until I realized they had Tony Romo, Terrell Owens, and I just didn't like any of the players. So I said, you know what? I can't like the Cowboys. Like, I just can't do it. I don't like their players. So I just stopped doing that. But I do think nowadays it's more about who you like as a player. And I think I followed to that as well because I start to fall in love with players and I watch how they play, and I'm like, you know what? I would love to be able to play that way. That's how I would want to play the game, especially in basketball. I watch these guys. I'm watching Jimmer Fredette right now uh, in the basketball tournament. I loved watching Jimmer back in college. So I think it's more about the players. And, you know, with my son, he's seven. He says his favorite player is LeBron James. And so he says, well, you know, the Lakers are fine because he has a big fat head of LeBron in his room and he's on the Lakers. So I think, I think it's more about the players nowadays than it is about the team. So loyalty has definitely changed in sports. But I do love to see people that have fallen in love with the team and stay there. Like, I have a lot of family that went to Oregon State, and so they just are diehard beeves through thick and thin no matter what. I, I wonder if fantasy sports has done that. Do you think fantasy sports has done that, or have we just changed in that we root for players instead of brands and teams? I think fantasy sports and just sports betting in general. I mean, that's those are kind of the teams that I root for. Right? If I'm, I like to bet on sports, and so – if I bet on that team, I'm going to root for that team that game. I can kind of take out my emotion and say, I love this team with my heart, and I'm going to pick it with my brain. I'm going to fall in love with them and just make it make it like a one-day thing, right? Like I just jump from bandwagon to bandwagon, bandwagon, bandwagon to bandwagon and do that every single day. So it makes it, for me, makes it more fun. What about you, Sean? How, you, how do you root? How has that changed? Um, so growing up, my favorite team was Oregon football and the Oregon Ducks in general. But then I went to college at Oregon and I participated in student media. And we were always taught the student radio station, you do not root for the Ducks. Like we were covering, this is a privilege, and you don't get to root for the Ducks. Um, you know, you can root for them on your own time. But when we're covering the events, which I ended up doing a lot of, uh, you don't get to root for the team. So my perspective on um, Oregon fandom kind of changed a little bit. Um, when I was in media and now my, I'm really excited for the season cause I can actually like enjoy the games and root for the team. Um, so I, I guess I kind of picked up the blazers more as my favorite team as I kind of shifted on covering the ducks rather than rooting for them. And sometimes it's really hard, right? To root for the blazers. Like when you're in, when you're in media and just in general too, when you hear about Jody Allen, you hear about Neil O'Shea and, you know, maybe a controversial head coaching hire last year with, uh, with Billups. So I, you know, the older you get, like there might be things that kind of rub you off the wrong way. Like my dad, uh, used to like the Blazers a lot, and maybe his his fandom might have shifted a little bit when the Mike Barrett and uh, Mike Rice, uh, you know, he he stopped he stopped following them more. I know he was really upset when those guys got uh, fired for for kind of more corporate broadcasters. So things like that, when you get older, I think uh, can uh, can affect fandom. I wonder though, from our listeners' standpoint, you know, if you're out there driving around or you're listening to the show on this uh, warm 
scorching hot day here in the summer in Oregon, you know, I, I think a lot about my own kids and I think about how I was as a as a kid. I was diehard, man. I, I just I lived it. I breathed it. I was into it. But I could hear my giants on the radio. I could watch them on TV. They were all on local TV. I really do think that television has not just infused money into sports, but I think it has changed the way people behave as sports fans. Now, gambling, fantasy sports, we've talked all about that, how that has sort of shifted uh, the way people watch games. But I'm interested in your loyalty to your teams. Are fans as loyal as they once were? I don't think so. That's my suspicion. But I want you to tell us at 503-417-7575. I'll tell a quick story. I, I grew up, I, as I mentioned, diehard Giants fan. Giants were terrible. My teams were all terrible until the 49ers won a championship and, and uh, went to the Super, Super Bowl 16 and Joe Montana. That my teams were terrible. And I knew I was a loyal fan because I was with them and rooted for them and supported them and wore their gear even though they were awful. There is something now, you know, where I where we all know bandwagon fans exist, but there's something to there's something beautiful about if you're a Blazer fan and I see you walking down the street and you got a Blazer hat on or you got a Blazer t-shirt on or you got a Blazer sticker on your car, I respect that because of where I have been as a sports fan. And I go, that person loves their team. If you're an Oregon State fan and you have been there through thick and thin, I respect that and I admire that. If you're an Oregon fan, I respect it and I admire it. If you've stuck with your team and have been there you know, through the toilet bowl years and people not being at games or even the Mark Helfrich season uh, you know, that, where he got fired and the, you know, Oregon wasn't so good, I respect those things. But I got to tell you, I, I became a Giants fan and then I found myself decades later covering – the San Francisco Giants, as a media person. And I relate to what you were saying, Stephen, going to work for the team kind of becomes a job. You see it a little differently. Or, Sean, you saying when you got to Oregon, they said, hey, this is this is not uh, your time to be a fan. You're not getting an autograph or taking a picture with players at games. You're here to cover. You're here to work. Um, I went into the Giants locker room as a media member who loved that team and loved Candlestick Park and was around the Giants. And all of a sudden I was covering Barry Bonds and – you know, I had Barry Bonds' poster in my locker in college when I was playing baseball. I had a poster of Bonds in the locker. Uh, I got to I gotta admit and I got to acknowledge that, like, I stopped being a Giants fan because I was covering the team. But it wasn't because somebody told me, hey, you can't be a fan, you're covering the team. It was because I realized that the players didn't love the fans back. I saw it. I saw it up close. Like, players all love to say, we love our fans, we respect our fans, whatever. Most of those players don't. Most of those players love the paycheck. They love the game. They love the fact that they're a professional athlete. And so I went, gosh, I feel a little foolish rooting for those teams for all those years. And I'm realizing now as I'm covering the team, they didn't give a rip about the fans. I saw them walk by young fans and blow them off to go into the clubhouse and, you know, smoke a cigarette. And it was uh, an eye-opener to me, and I thought, gosh, man, this really is a game. This really is a professional sport. So I do appreciate when I see cases like athletes like Marcus Mariota at Oregon, who I saw Marcus Mariota at Oregon play a terrible game where he, which he fumbled the ball. They lost to Arizona at the home stadium. Their, you know, Their dreams of going to the national championship game and Heisman Trophy potentially up in smoke, and as he's leaving the field, he stops to lean down and thank a young fan for coming to the game and sign an autograph. 
And it, it's stuff like that that makes me love sports and love college football. I want to talk loyalty. Your phone calls. Bob in Milwaukee is going to lead us off after the break. But I want you to join that fun, too, at 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Talking about loyalty, how are you? How loyal are you as a sports fan? Really, how loyal are you? How diehard are you in this era? You tell me. Are you loyal to players or are you loyal to teams? And if so, how loyal are you? 503-417-7575. Let's go out to Milwaukee. Bob's in Milwaukee. Go ahead, Bob. Hey, John. Well, I've been a loyal fan to many teams, the Blazers, of course. But then the, uh, the Red Sox suffered through all the time and them losing. I started collecting baseball cards and started liking some of the players, and so I decided they were on my team. I also followed the Los Angeles Rams. When you're talking about players interacting, I went down. I've only seen one uh, Rams game in L.A. back when they were playing Anaheim. And after the game, Kevin Green stood around there for about an hour, hour and a half, just talking to fans, signing on autographs, and just being a real person. And that was probably one of the best fan-player experiences I've ever had. Love that. It, that, that brings loyalty to you. I just wonder in today's world if kids growing up like their teams, but more importantly like what they're seeing on ESPN and like the players – Fantasy sports, uh, as we know, uh, has become a booming industry. So has gambling. I think it has affected the way we watch games. I do think it's affected loyalty as well. Have you ever wagered against your team? I'm not talking to you, Pete Rose. I'm talking to you out there listening to this radio show. Have you ever wagered against one of your teams? Hey, John, I want to ask you a question. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, do you think video games has to do with it, too? Because, you mm. know, there's a lot of franchise modes and things like that. People uh, you know, get different players, and then they're good in the video game. So maybe it's more like they like the players rather than the teams. Could be. I think that could play. I think it's probably a lot of things. It's probably video games can play into it. It's fantasy sports that plays into it. It's the fact that players have jumped around from team to team, creating sort of an allegiance to the player rather than the team. I also think uh, we have seen merchandise uh, across the leagues become, you know, I, I saw something the other day. I was looking through old photographs, and I stumbled upon a photograph of myself, and for some inexplicable reason I had a Rams jersey on. I don't know why I had a Rams jersey on. I was 12 or 13 years old. I don't know if a friend maybe put it on for a joke. I hated the Rams. I don't know why I had that Rams jersey on. Uh, but I I think in today's world, I think kids buy and wear what they want to wear. I don't think it necessarily is limited. Like, I think if you're a LeBron fan, to your point, Stephen, if you're a LeBron fan, you got you know, you got a Heat jersey, you got a Cavs jersey, you got a Lakers jersey available to you. I think you'll wear them all. Yeah, I was a big Brandon Roy fan. Uh, you know, when he was on the Blazers – I was at Concordia playing basketball. We went to a Washington team camp when I was in high school, so I was a big Brandon Roy guy. I have Brandon Roy's jersey on Washington. I have Brandon Roy's jersey on the T-Wolves, you know. So it's like I, you know, he is a guy that I wanted to follow and that I liked. And so, yeah, I think I was more attached to him as the player rather than just the team. 
The two, this is interesting, the two most um, the two most popular NBA players among the youth right now are Steph Curry and John Morant. And you think about why why those two players. And I think it's because, you know, we live in an era where you, you go on Twitter and you watch highlights and we're kind of infatuated by the, the, the highlight makers. And, you know, you go on TikTok and you see big dunks or, you know, crazy throws. So I, I, I feel like that has a, a factor, too. Like, you know, we, we like the individual athletes and we like the flashy ones. I like that. I think that's you're onto something there too, because you know we talk about viewing habits change. Uh, if what you're seeing is highlight, 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 uh, maybe you become an Otani fan, uh, but you're not even a baseball fan. Like you know, you're watching highlight, 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 and you go, "Hey, this is great. I like this. I can get behind this." Uh, you know, because really, what allegiance is born of? It used to be geography. It used to be. I used to do a segment all the time, like once a year, where I would say to people, tell me who you root for and why. And the answers were fascinating to me because there was a core part of the audience at the time that said, I root for this team because I grew up in the area. That's how I rooted. I was geographically you know, connected to the teams in my region. I, I, I was loyal to my soil. But I think that's shifted, and I think you know, there was a faction of the audience back in the day that would say, well, I root for the Pittsburgh Steelers because my grandpa rooted for the Steelers, and that's what we did. We did it together, and that's how that's why I'm a Steelers fan or whatnot. But I think now, more than anything, it's if you ask people that question, especially young people who haven't been exposed to maybe decades of conditioning, they their answer will be, I like that player. I'm a fan of that player. Or that's who I pick, As to Steven's point. That's how I pick on the video game. When I sign up for the video game, I, that's the team I grab. And I think Oregon in college football – has benefited from that because the brand of Oregon extends well beyond our region, our geography. And I have a friend who lives in Mississippi, and he says all the kids in Mississippi, when they play you know, college football Madden or whatever, they pick Oregon. Why? Because they like the uniforms. And so it's interesting to me to see that like geography has played less and less a role in your allegiance as a fan, um, you know, and I, I, I know that geography was the reason I picked my teams, and I, I just felt like we were all needed to be provincial at the time. I don't feel that anymore, and I wonder if, like, my kids would be better off being, like, Patriots fans instead of Niner fans, you know, or Seahawks fans or whatever, you know, they, they gravitate towards because I think it would be an easier childhood to see your team win a bunch of games, you know, back in the day with the Patriots. So, um, you know, I don't I don't root for the Warriors anymore, not because I don't like the Warriors, but because I do see that bandwagon faction who has jumped on with this, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of NBA free agency. I think the fans are as guilty as the players are of jumping around because I and everybody's a Warriors fan all of a sudden. And I, and I go, you know what? It's not fashionable anymore. I'm just not going to root for them. And, John, you talk about geography as well, like, you can choose anybody, right? Like, I can be a Miami Heat fan, and I can get NBA League Pass and watch the Heat whenever I want. So if you're – you can choose any team that you want, yes. and you can watch all of their games. So you don't have to be – you know, when I was growing up, you know, it, all I had was, like you said, you know, the local channels, right? Or there's a lot of Braves fans because they were on TBS or Cubs fans because they were on WGN. Like, that's how we became fans, where now it's like, well, I can just get this, and I can watch any team that I want. I think it's a great point. The WGN had the Cubs. Uh, you had the Atlanta Braves on uh, TBS. And all of a sudden, you had Braves fans on the western part of the United States and Cubs fans everywhere. 
And everybody else has caught on to that since then. And I, I do think that has played a massive role. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Stephen, what do we have uh, on 750 The Game coming up top of the hour? Well, we got the Pulse with uh, Peter Sampson tonight. Has the Pulse been on fire lately? It has been on fire. I know I've been uh, tuning in, so Peter always does a great job. Love that. Peter just walked in, in fact. You know, we Peter. ate ribs and we, we ate ribs yesterday on the show. You ate ribs on the show? That's the show? You're drinking beers and eating ribs? Yeah, that's exactly what happened on yesterday's show. Yeah, he gave me some, John, and they were fire. They were good. Where were they from, these ribs? Uh, <laughs> Peter's Barbecue. Yeah. Really? Oh, wow. Man. Thanks, Peter. Uh, steal those headphones. Hey, what's yeah. up, John? <laughs> what you doing, man? I heard you brought ribs in yesterday. Oh, man. Hickory smoked, made a dry rub myself. You got to have the taste mm. test on there. They were great. I'm I'm, uh, I'm getting hungry hearing about that. You can't do that at 557. <laughs> Oh, man, love that. What do you have coming up on The Pulse? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL, start a preview in college football. It's about that time, isn't it, John? I know we're still yes. six weeks out, but, you know, it feels like we're a week out. And uh, the demise of one of my favorite summer foods, we're going to memorialize that as well. Mm. I'll be, I'm curious to find out what that is. Stay tuned in Portland on 750 The Game. Sam in Portland didn't get ribs either, but he's on the line. Sam, what's up, man? John, this is a great question. I'm going to tell you about loyalty. I can have two teams, one really. One is the Pittsburgh Steelers. The other is the uh, Oregon State Beavers. I have been a Steelers fan since I was seven, and I have never wavered, ever. I don't root for any other team ever, anytime, any day, anywhere. I go back to Pittsburgh once a year. Players have come and gone. I stick with the Steelers. It's not about the players for me. Toughest time was when Ben was charged with his two sexual assaults. For me to stay loyal to them, but I'm loyal to the team and and always will be. I'm so loyal, John, I don't bet on the Steelers because if I do, they'll lose, right? Because I have that kind of control, so I don't do it. People say, why are you a Steelers fan if you're born in Portland? I say, because when I was a kid, there was no professional football team in the Pacific Northwest, and there still isn't. But about the, the, the Beavers... One thing that irritates me with younger people today is they'll tell you, I root for the Beavers when they're not playing the Ducks. Duck fans say that. I tell them, I don't need you to root for the Beavers. I root for the Ducks to lose every game because I'm a loyal Beaver fan. It's the Steelers and the Beavers for me till I die. Black and gold, black and gold till I'm dead and cold. That's loyalty, John. There you go. I don't know if that exists anymore. Sam in Portland bringing the heat as a Steelers fan since he was seven years old. I will uh, I will estimate that Sam was seven years old in the 1970s when the Steelers were really good. Not calling you out. I'm just saying a whole bunch of Steelers fans from that era. All right, I want you to leave it here in Portland on 750 The Game as Peter Sampson is going to uh, talk about the demise of one of his favorite summer foods. What is that? We'll find out. We are back tomorrow with another great show. I want you to uh, subscribe to the podcast if you're listening on the podcast, and we will catch you tomorrow.